you watch a debate that I had not too long ago on Standing for Truth's channel. This is with Pastor Kirby Tab, where we talk about who is the real Israel. It's a long debate. Uh, we go into a lot of different things. Uh, there's some great moments in there. Appreciate Pastor Tab being willing to do that with me. Uh, he was a good sport throughout the whole thing, but it was a great conversation. I think it went very well. A lot of truth was advanced and foolishness debunked, in my opinion. But I'll let you decide. You go ahead and watch. God bless you. We'll see you all next week. All right. Looks like we are live. And I want to welcome everybody to Standing for Truth. My name is Donnie, and I am your host and moderator for tonight's debate on dispensationalism and Israel. Specifically, we're debating the question, what is true Israel? And I am thankful to have brothers in the Lord like Tommy and Kirby willing to engage in these important discussions. And so pastors, thank you uh, both for giving us your time for this important uh, debate on a, an excellent topic. Uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite topics to uh, enjoy and, and to host. And so why don't we get acquainted, though, before we get into opening statements. And we've got a, a fresh face here, a new debater on the Standing for Truth debate platform. And so it's always great to have uh, new debaters and new guests. And so, Pastor Kirby Tab, why don't we start with you? We'll hand it to you for a brief intro, a little bit about yourself for anybody unfamiliar with you, and a little bit about your church. Well, thank you for uh, the invitation to be here and have part of this discussion in your channel. Um, yeah, my name is Kirby Tab. I'm the pastor of Open Door Baptist Church of Brighton, Tennessee. We are about to celebrate our 10th year. I started this church uh, in 2014, which is a handful of people and the Lord's allowed our flock to grow and to allowed us to purchase some property and to uh, build a new building. I'm sitting in it right now. And um, well, actually we just last week opened a second building for the youth. Uh, we, they were, we got a lot of kids here and that's a blessing, but they are uh, kind of noisy and their area was a little too close to the sanctuary. So we just uh, were able to complete a separate building for them. So, uh, yeah, that's the big news around here, I guess. But uh, my wife and I have three grown and married children, uh, two boys and a girl. And uh, my daughter has given us three grandchildren, uh, all boys, ranging anywhere from, oh, I think it's three to eight. And uh, our youngest son just got married last year. And they, they're a regular part of our lives. They're, they attend church here. And uh, we, that means a lot to their mother and me. My oldest son, we don't see him as much as we would like to. He's a sergeant in the U.S. Army, and he just uh, transferred back to the States within the last year from Japan. He is now in uh, Fort Seal, Oklahoma. So with technology, we can keep up with him pretty good. So him and his wife live there. And um, I, for 40 hours a week, I am a, a highway patrolman. I am a state trooper. I've been on for 22 years. I've got about three years before I'm going to retire. So being in law enforcement, uh, my life gets plenty of excitement. And it's, uh, it's, not every, it's an everyday thing in my life to have people disagreeing with me. So uh, this would be nothing new, <laughs> what I'm going through right here. But um, yeah, I've got front row seats to chaos. Being a pastor and a uh, uh, state trooper, the convergence of law and grace. So 
glad to be here, man. Awesome. Pastor Kirby Tab, I appreciate that introduction. I look forward to this debate, but also uh, having you on many more times in, in the future. And so to the audience, if you like what you're hearing throughout the debate from Kirby, I do have his uh, YouTube channel link where you can find more content from him. Okay. Can I say something quick about that, sir? I I meant to say something. Actually, uh, my son-in-law put that together back in COVID. I started a few things and I don't really have a real active channel. I've had a few things that we posted during COVID, uh, but I, in the future, uh, we're working on going to start putting some things in uh, uploading YouTube videos again. So just uh, it may be a little bit before new stuff goes up. Awesome. I appreciate sure. that clarification, uh, Kirby. And Pastor Tommy McMurtry, definitely not your first time here. You're no stranger to uh, this channel nor these these topics. And so how have you been? A little bit about yourself and a little bit about your, your church and new podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here again tonight. Appreciate you doing this. I always enjoy it. Every time I hear that intro music, I get all fired up and excited. And I do appreciate this. Appreciate Pastor Tab doing this. We've had a couple discussions on my channel before, and I always appreciate him. I I like him as a person. We don't always agree on everything, but we're able to talk about things and get along fine. And so uh, I'm I'm glad he's uh, doing this. I, I think he's a good sport. And Looking forward to a good discussion, and uh, but yeah, I uh, pastor the Liberty Baptist Church in Rock Falls. I've been uh, pastoring for nearly 12 years, two months away from hitting 12 years, and just love the subject of prophecy, Israel. Uh, I like talking about these things. I like a, an honest and even uh, passionate discussion, disagreement. I think we ought to be able to talk about these things and walk away uh, like big boys. And uh, without getting our feelings hurt. And I do have a new podcast that I just started. I'm kind of plugging. I got the logo behind me for the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Um, I'm still kind of new to a lot of these other platforms, but it's um, tr- getting it on the, all the podcast po- uh, platforms out there. I've got a new YouTube channel for it if you want to look it up. And then uh, it's on Rumble. It will be on Odyssey. I, I need to get 200 subscribers on that on my Spirit of Prophecy channel first. That way, it will mirror everything to Odyssey. So help me out with that. But I'm um, looking forward to having a lot of different people on people I disagree with. I can't officially announce it yet, but it looks like I've got some really interesting guests lined up to come on the program uh, who are going to talk about some things where we agree, but we also disagree on some things. But uh, it's going to be really interesting. Very excited about it. So, but again, looking forward to this discussion. Um, so very excited about it. Very cool. Tommy, thank you for the intro. I do have your uh, regular channel linked. I'll make sure that I get your Spirit of Prophecy podcast linked there as well for people to uh, check out and subscribe to help you get to 200 uh, subscribers. I agree that these discussions are important, especially amongst brothers who agree on the essentials of Christianity, but may have differing views and opinions when it comes to uh, eschatology and Israel, which is why we're here tonight to discuss the uh, specific question, what is true Israel? And a couple of the subtopics that we will be discussing for the audience sake is why Israel lost the kingdom and what is the exact meaning of it? Also, we're going to discuss the start of the church. Did it start at Pentecost with Jesus and the 12? 
or in the wilderness. It is going to be a comprehensive uh, event tonight. We're going to have roughly 15-minute uh, opening statements, followed by eight-minute uninterrupted rebuttals. Then we're just going to jump into an open discussion. I will uh, moderate and make sure that uh, both guests tonight are getting uh, equal time to ask questions and discuss the relevant points. Then we're going to get uh, you guys in the audience involved. We're going to have an audience uh, Q&A that we will incorporate uh, right after the open discussion and before closing statements. And so please tag me with your questions. Keep them on topic. Again, the topic, what is true Israel? And we'll have some fun with that. And then we'll wrap up the show with five minute uh, closing words and thoughts. And so with that, let's get right into our uh, first opening statement. And so Pastor Tommy McMurtry. All right. So the title of tonight's program is What is True Israel? And so let me give you a brief summary of what I believe. And I look forward to discussing this, answering any objections or questions. I think it's important to be clear uh, about what we believe and what we mean when we use certain terms. And I do believe there are several things that we all refer to as Israel, but I believe there's one true Israel, or we could say, um, what is the Israel of God that's referred to in Galatians 6.16? In Galatians 6.15, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. And I believe based on things discussed in the book of Galatians, especially in chapter three and four, uh, he's showing here that there is an Israel of God and its circumcision has nothing to do with it. It's not about anything physical. It's about those who are of faith. And so to me, this discussion tonight is about the Israel of God or the true Israel, the Israel that the promises were made to the Israel who has an inheritance coming and the Israel that has something good to look forward to. I believe the Israel of God is the people of God. God has always had a people. And while they haven't always been called just Israel, understand that all who have ever been the people of God or a people of faith will be part of the inheritance promised to Israel that sadly many are saying that a physical people, one who deny Christ, have some kind of claim. And I do not I do not believe that. And so where the confusion comes from, though, is the fact the word Israel is not used exclusively for a people of God. It originally was a person who was named Jacob and then God called his name Israel. So even in the Bible, Israel's not always just talking about the people of God. Israel is a term we often use to describe a geographical location. Sometimes we're not talking about a person or a people at all. We're talking about a geographical location. I went to Israel back in December. And so uh, it's Israel is a term that's often used to describe a physical people. Today, we'll talk about the Israelis or the people who live in the geographical location of Israel. Israel at one time was a people and a nation who had the law of God. They were chosen of God. They had the oracles of God. But as a nation, they did not keep the law. They rejected their Messiah. They were cut out of the olive tree. 
and they were replaced by a people of faith that were from all over the world. Now, those who obeyed the law of Moses that were of Israel and follow Christ, those people were never cut, cut off. They held on to their inheritance. But what often, so what often happens in these discussions, two people start sometimes, maybe ignorantly, but sometimes I think intentionally talking past each other because Israel is sometimes referring to a physical people or a geographic location in the Bible. And a lot of times people try to get cute with you and they will take some examples where it's clearly talking about a physical people. And then they will, and because it says Israel, and here we've got a promise that's to Israel, therefore it belongs to this physical people and God's not done with them. But the people of the flesh or people whose only claim to the inheritance is the law, in reality have zero claim on anything. Romans 4.13 says, for the promise that he, talking about Abraham, should be heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. People often bring up, no, these things belong, the land belongs to Israel by promise. Israel has certain inheritance and claim on things because of the promise. But here it says that it was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So I submit to you, that if you are of Israel, physically speaking, but and you do not have faith, then you have no claim on any of the promises. Because it says, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. And I believe, and I teach, that the physical... Uh, descendants, you know, those who are claimed to be of Israel, who are not of faith, I believe they are under God's wrath and they will always be under God's wrath based on first Thessalonians. When Paul said, talking about the Jews for the wrath is come on them to the uttermost. Why are they under God's wrath? Because the law brings wrath. So the only promise that a physical Jew has coming to them uh, based on the law, is the wrath of God because they have failed to keep the law. What they need to claim the promises is to be a faith and to accept Jesus Christ. And so it goes on to say, therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And so the children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, specifically is Jesus Christ. He is Abraham's seed. He is the one the promises were made to. And those who are of faith also have claim because of the fact that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So. We are Abraham's seed. We are the Israel of God. We are God's people, the people of faith. And so these facts, they're, they're indisputable. But to the, you know, inventors of dispensationalism, you know, they have come up with this idea that there are two different people of God. But if there are two different people of God, the question I have is, did Jesus purchase two bodies or two brides. 
Psalm 74, 2 says, Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old, the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. Who are these people that God purchased of old? This is in Psalms. This is in the Old Testament. This was something that was written to Israel. So is this a different group that was purchased of old? No, this is, there's, there's only one group that God ever purchased. Revelation 13, 8 says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The people who are purchased of old are all the people of God, all those who are of faith. The purchase, the only purchase for people was made by the blood of Christ and he purchased one people. And there's a lot of scriptures we could go to on that. I'm sure we'll get to Ephesians 2 is a great example of that. But these people that God purchased of old, it is the people of God. Today, we often call it, people often call it the church. There's a lot of different names that you could put for it. But here it called it a congregation is the word it used in the Old Testament. In Acts 7.37, it says, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. And, and so right there we see Stephen referring to a church in the wilderness and people will try to tell you the church started uh, at Pentecost or with Jesus in the 12. That is not the case. There was a church in the wilderness and I look forward to uh, addressing some of the objections to this, but Stephen uh, flat out called it the church in the wilderness in Hebrews two 11. It says for both he that calleth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? That's quoting Psalms 22, where it says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That church that Christ loved and gave himself for is the congregation that was purchased of old. And you say, how can, a, and how can a purchase take place when Jesus died just 2,000 years ago after he made these promises in Psalms? But we, I think we all understand that a purchase and an exchange can, often, can take place before payment has been made. We've heard of credit and understand we were purchased under the promise of a Messiah, of a sacrificial lamb. And Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago came and fulfilled that obligation but the purchase was made from the foundation of the world because of the promise of god just as paul said in romans 4 17 says as it is written i have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed even god who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were god called abraham a father of many nations before he had any children why was he able to do that? Because God promised it would happen. And if God promises something's going to happen, it's as good as happened. It's still going, has to play out, but it always does 100% of the time. The promise of a Messiah was given from the foundation of the world. 
Obviously, it didn't play out until 2,000 years ago. But once the promise was made, the claim could already, the purchase was made. And so understand the church and the congregation, it's the same thing. And so the entire Bible is a story about God looking for a people he could fellowship with. Most of that story is focused on the people of Israel. But understand it goes back even before that. It's the important question, you know, when it came to spiritual authority, I believe the church has it now, but who had it before the cross? Well, the nation of Israel had it. But that, but understand they lost the kingdom because they tried to kill the heir that the promises were made through. And so who had the kingdom or authority before Israel? Well, there was Abraham and Isaac, but who was it before that? Well, uh, who we, we see that there was Noah, who was the federal head of the earth after the ark, but things became a mess. Who was before Noah? Well, Genesis 4.26 says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And I believe you could say that was the church during that time. Who was it before that? Well, before that, it says in verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, had appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Seth was the appointed one meant to take the place of Abel. The story of Cain and Abel is God choosing a people. Adam fell. Adam brought sin into the world. Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. They both brought their sacrifices. God rejected Cain's and God accepted Abel's. A Abel ended up becoming the chosen one, but Cain killed him. So Seth was born, uh, who was that, who became that appointed seed. And we follow his line to Noah, uh, but things got corrupt in the world. We have Noah and then things get corrupt in the world again, the Tower of Babel, then God chooses Abraham. So I say all that to say, there's always been a people of God. Who have they been? They've always been a people of faith. They've always been a people who called on the Lord. And so the New Testament church is very different in many ways from the Old Testament congregation, but that's because of what Hebrews calls the time of reformation that Jesus brought in, where he reformed the church, you could say. And I look forward to talking about the details of that, but that's all I have for my uh, closing remarks. Looking forward to saying more on this. Pastor Tommy, thank you very much for that roughly 15-minute opening statement. To the audience, I am all caught up on questions. I appreciate you tagging me and excellent questions so far. So with that, uh, Pastor Kirby Tab, we're now going to hand it over to you. And whenever you're ready, you also have up to 15 minutes for an opening statement. Go ahead. Yeah, the topic is what is true Israel? Uh, Pastor and Tommy and I have opposing views. Uh, I know as far as the format of this debate, I, I think the more the most valuable part of this will be the um, uh, dialogue uh, that we can have later, because sometimes it's not, I'm not sure how scalable it is to just give our positions. Um, we, we, we're analyzing biblical data here and coming to conclusions and stating our position and uh, we're scrutinizing each other's positions. But I think more importantly than scrutinizing our stated positions is to scrutinize the process that took us to that decision. Now, for the record, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, I've had two 
two discussions with Pastor Tommy. Uh, I like Tommy McMurtry. Uh, I can't help but like him because uh, I, uh, I've spoken with him also privately on the phone. And I, I must say that um, the people I, I can assert con with confidence that the people of uh, uh, Liberty Baptist Church have a good pastor. And I think Tommy's a good man. Uh, I I do respect him. I, I cannot say that I respect his position on Israel, and I'm sure that he doesn't respect mine. But uh, when we are having discussions like this, the my objective is edification for myself and for all the third party listeners, and Tommy also. So if it if it if it appears that I am uh, trying to uh, dismantle Tommy or or uh, tear him down. I'm not trying to do that. I'm, I'm trying. My objective is to build him up, to build the hearers up. But just like if I'm if I'm replacing a shed, some rotten wood or something on a shed on my property, some rafters or something, I must deconstruct in order to get to a, uh, a suitable foundation. If it's the top plate or the rafters or something like that, and that's how it is with constructing um, our ourselves for edification. So that's my objective here. Uh, with that. Now, I think it's important to for us to eliminate, try to, the predictable rhetoric and the uh, redundancies that are often associated with a conversation like this. Uh, uh, for the record, I am not here to defend dispensationalism. I do not have enough adjectives in my vocabulary to tell you how disinterested I am in defending dispensationalism. And uh, another thing, I'm not interested in doing. I'm not here to defend Israel. My fidelity is to scriptural authority. And uh, so dispensational thought is something that surfaces from fidelity to scriptural authority. Allegiance to Israel is something that surfaces as uh, we give uh, allegiance to scripture and uh, make, make that our final authority. Um, so yeah, we when we have a discussion like this, often, and I, I, I'm sure, Pastor, there's so much that Tommy is saying that I agree with, uh, and that's how it is with any topic. This multifaceted, there's things that we uh, definitely do agree with, and um, it's we're seeing the same thing quite often. This if. A good example would be this. If I was looking at a uh, oil drum, uh, a cylinder, it's a cylinder and it's got depth and dimension to it. Well, if I'm in a drone or, a, or an overhead view looking straight down on that thing, what do I see? I see a circle and I could strongly assert with every ounce of my being, it is a circle. And yet if another person is at another angle looking at it straight from the side, he sees a, a square or better said a rectangle. And one guy is is pounding his fist saying it's a circle. The other guy said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. It is a rectangle. And both of the guys are right. Now, here's the problem. In the world of, I, in this arena, so many people have, I mean, century-long debates, metaphorically speaking, have been about squares and circles, looking at the same thing as we're looking at Israel. Uh, people have written theology books trying to prove that it is a circle and, uh, and virtue shaming those who would think it anything but a circle. And uh, on this other side, folks have uh, written books and uh, 
um, asserted that it's a square. Well, and if you just change your view a little bit and see the dimensional aspect of it, you realize that there's depth to that thing. And God wants us to see that depth, the depth, the height, the uh, breadth and the width that's in the Bible somewhere. I think Ephesians three. Uh, so if, if dispensationalism is even a thing, it doesn't pass the, the spell check on my word document. It's underlined. So it can't be real. Right. <laughs> but uh, it is um, it's this it's just a dimensional aspect. It's kind of akin to looking at the glass or through the glass. And a lot of times we're doing that. So if we can eliminate that and understand what we're seeing, uh um, that we, it, but there are some nuances here. There's some hinge points here that really take us off the rails if we don't get it right. Um, you know, is what I'm seeing in is a month ago, I was invited on this debate. So I have been really paying a lot of attention. I'm not an expert on the subject by any means, but I've been really looking at it and meditating upon it for the past uh, month. And uh, it's what I'm seeing is that uh Proponents of this um, dispensational, I'm not, disp I'm sorry, um, replacement theology or expansion theology, any given passage that we come to, and I make my assertion and Tommy makes his assertion, well, it's so easy to deflect that if you don't like the way that's going, if it doesn't support your existing ideology, is all a man has to do is uh, assign what we're seeing uh, that shows that Israel's destination is fixed, assign that to a past fulfillment or uh, spiritualize it or uh, put contingencies upon it. And uh, those are the three things. I do not expect to see anything more than that. But um, if, to give a, there's a, this is a, a big subject. And if I can give um, uh, an analogy that I think uh, that could condense this just for the third party observers and hearers to uh, the cliff notes for all of this can be summed up in something that me and Tommy do both agree with uh, is eternal security. If uh, I, I am again, I, I will not defend eternal security any more than I would defend dispensationalism. Why? Because fidelity to the scriptures will allow the concept of once saved, always saved to surface. And that's what happens with dialogues like this. We have um, uh, error will be exposed and truth will be exalted as we continue on. But you got to really land and get in the weeds on some things now. Um, but if, if you separated me and Pastor McMurtry right now and uh, we, we were challenged on once saved, always saved, that a New Testament saint cannot lose their salvation, uh, Pastor McMurtry and my uh takes on that would harmonize. We would be in complete agreement and probably use the same method of, of showing that. And yet, if we enter the arena of Israel uh, being eternally secure, see guys, Israel has eternal security and uh, Israel has been redeemed. So in other words, just like I, my destination, I am a saved man. My destination is fixed and it has nothing to do with my behavior. Uh, those are, there's some other things there, but my behavior will not, has no, nothing to do with heaven or hell and eternal life or loss thereof. Uh, same with Israel, same with Israel. And yet when it comes to that topic, Tommy would play the part of the Roman Catholic apologist when it comes to making indi an indictment against Israel because of their behavior, that they are no more and their destination is not fixed. Um, 
I don't know how much I'm trying to keep it now on the time. Remind me, I'll give you something. I'll give you something. There's got to start somewhere. Go to uh, pastor. You, you just hit the eight minute and 40 second mark. So okay. you, you still got. Enough time. Oh, let's, oh, we'll look at a, a little scripture here. I am in a uh, uh, numbers, I'm, uh, numbers chapter uh, 23, numbers 23. If we could look at that to give an idea of what I'm, what I'm talking about. Um, Sorry. Yeah, Numbers 23. And this is, of course, the, the situation with Balaam and Balak and trying to uh, put a curse upon Israel and the king of Moab was. But uh, now Israel here um, is the these are a rebellious people. These people have murmured. They have complained. They have they have uh, uh, had mutiny and, and uh, even schemes to go back to Egypt. They're a stiff neck and hard. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. You cannot say a lot of times we create a false dichotomy with what we uh, how we frame each other's stated position. Know, know this now. You can't say enough bad things about the current state of Israel that I'm not going to agree with. Uh, some kind of, somehow we, we frame this thing to where uh, and I know some people can get really goofy about Israel. I do know that uh, it, uh, the the. The idea that we are, you know, that we are so mushy about Israel that uh, we would knock a, 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 a poor, crippled Gentile down just to carry a rich, healthy, young Jew's briefcase across the street that he'd get across safely. Uh, that uh, sometimes we get a little, uh, we frame that thing in an in a, uh, unequitable way. Uh, that's not, and I, I and as a matter of fact, all of this stuff about Israel and people using Israeli semantics and feast days. And, and, and let me tell you something that that Jew right now, I don't need anything that he has to offer spiritually. Not one thing. I, there is no value to what Israel can offer me. They need to hear what I have to say because I am a say I am in the body of Christ and I'm saved. So there's no value at all in any uh, Jewish uh, holiday or, or, tradition or anything like that. And uh, I get pretty sick of hearing that myself. But when we're looking at this, Israel is, this is what God sees. It's based upon, oh, it's about faith, but it's the faith of Abraham. That's where their, um, uh, that's where their security is. And uh, of course, uh, well-known place in scripture, but in all the, all of the the, the condition of Israel. Notice what God said. He, he comes back and God put a word in Balaam's mouth in verse 21. It says, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord is God is with, uh, is with him and the shout of the king is among him. In other words, listen, man, he's, God is saying, I haven't, I'm, he's looking at their covenant standing. Uh, under the Abrahamic covenant. He's not looking, if he was to look at them through another lens, through their, through their, um, through the Mosaic covenant, well, my goodness, they are, they are hard hearted and stiff necked and rebellious. And, and you can't say enough bad things about them, but that's between them and God. That's an in-house matter. And they'll be chastened uh, because of that. And there's a lot of other things here in the book of numbers as far as what Balaam, the prophet saw, and uh, it's going to, well, we can land there and spend all the time and go as slow as we need to in any of this stuff. But um, yeah, it's about a, uh, eternal security. And uh, I believe that Israel has eternal security. I believe the Bible makes no mistake about that. Um, uh, let me see where I want to go here. Uh, yeah. 
ultimately is what you see. The, the meta narrative of the entire Bible is that Israel uh, does get uh, are, is rebellious and they will be chastened and God will bring them through uh, some uh, judgment and things like that. And then they uh, repent and they're restored. And you see that time and time again, that's the overall, that's the meta narrative of the of entire, just about every aspect of scripture that we see practically everywhere we see, that's what we see. Um, I'll give you something. I might have a few minutes here. Boy, that time goes. How about this? I've got about a minute and 45, I think. Um, if just to kind of put this in a concise manner, for, you, for folks to understand, uh, me and Tommy, I think, would agree that uh, apostolic signs and tongues and miracles are not anymore. But they were here, but they're not here anymore. Uh, but uh, they are coming back. That's a Bible fact that some, uh, miracles and signs and wonders will be coming back. And they are directly connected to that Jew. They're connected to Israel. So why would they be coming back? If the Jew, if God did not have plans in the future to put that Jew through some uh, through, through the furnace of affliction and things like that. So because there the Jews require a sign. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 22 says the Jews require a sign and um, their national history began with a sign. You know what the sign of Israel is? It's a burning bush. Uh, Exodus chapter three, always uh, uh, constantly through the fiery trials of affliction, yet never consumed. They don't go away. They come out of the, the iron furnace of Egypt and go th they will go through the furnace of the great tribulation. So I think my time's about up, man. Try to be mindful of that. So I guess I'll stop talking now. Okay, Kirby, thank you very much for that 15 minute opening statement. Gentlemen, that concludes the opening statements for tonight's program. We're now moving into the eight minute uninterrupted rebuttal portion of this event. And so Pastor Tommy McMurtry, whenever you're ready, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah, so I agree with what Pastor Tab was saying in the beginning. I think it's really important that we really focus on where the real differences are because there are there there's a lot of things that we all agree on and often whenever one is trying to prove their theology is better uh, they'll often state a whole bunch of things that are easily provable but the thing is the other side agrees with that as well and it is important that we get to where the real differences are at and so i guess uh based on what pastor tab just said uh, what I would like to address and where I do believe he is wrong is on Israel's eternal security. Now, I am a huge promoter of eternal security, but I would disagree with him that Israel had eternal security. And that probably here is weird uh, here for people to hear that coming out of my mouth. Understand those who were saved by faith without works in the Old Testament, like Abraham, like David guys that Paul mentioned, they had eternal security, but not because of their uh, of them being of Israel, but because of their faith. That was why they had eternal security. And here's just a few verses that I uh, put down real quick after he mentioned Israel had eternal security. Well, it doesn't sound like it because Genesis 17, 14 says, and the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. 
Deuteronomy 27, 20, uh, chapter 27 says a bunch of things. You're cursed if you do. But the last thing he says in verse 26, cursed be he that confirmeth not all the, all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say amen. The apostle Paul referred to this in Galatians to show that you can't be the people or claim the promise by the law because the law will get you in trouble. There is no eternal security in the law. And and when and I, and this is what I think we need to talk about and where I'll probably ask some questions later, but you can think about this now Pastor Tab, but when you're talking about Israel today and you are giving them claim to an inheritance, what is the basis of those claims? Is it their bloodline, their genealogy? Because if it is, that sounds like it's a claim based on the law. But if it's about the law, you're required to keep all of it. So I don't see anywhere where Israel has any kind of claim other than through the law, which brings wrath and a curse. And there is no curse or there is no eternal security through the law. Romans 11, 1 says, I say that hath God cast away his people. God forbid for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, and Pastor Tab referred to my position as similar to Roman Catholics, like we're kind of uh, making, uh, you know, accusation against them. And we are. And he, but he goes on to say, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars. And I am left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God in him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. So while Israel has a horrible history, understand that, you know, not all of them are like that. There were some who were of faith, like the Apostle Paul, and they can still be saved, as Romans 11 goes on to say, if they abide not still in unbelief. And so claiming an inheritance, a claim, anything for a people who are in unbelief, especially based on things of the law, makes absolutely no sense. If you're under the law, you're under the wrath of God. Acts 13, 38 says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's talking to Jews. And then listen to what he says. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which was spoken of in the prophets. Now, many dispensationalists act like the prophets prophesied all these good, wonderful things for Israel. And they did if they would be obedient or if they would be a faith. But it also promised wrath, judgment, curses if they did not obey. And you know what? They didn't obey. So they're warning them. You better trust Jesus or wrath is going to come on you. You are in big trouble. Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So understand, being there is no eternal security for uh, physical people. There is only wrath. And so I completely uh, disagree with that statement. And I do believe that Israel is under the wrath of God. I believe once they are of faith, then they have that eternal security. And so
another area where uh, I'm hoping maybe we can get into tonight too is the discussion of what it meant when Israel lost the kingdom and it was given to another nation. Because people often claim that, you know, you Christian, you replacement theology people, you're acting like you were able to do something that Israel wasn't. No, we're not. Okay. We, ca we can't keep the law either. Here's the thing about us Gentile Christians. We basically started where, uh, where Israel ended. We actually started out one step ahead of them. They were given the oracles of God. They were given the law of God. They were given all these things through the law, but because they were never a, because they were not a faith as a nation, they lost all those things. We didn't become a part of the nation by by the law. We did by faith. They got to that part where the Messiah came and they rejected him, causing them to lose all of those promises that would come with Messiah. That's where we started. We started one step ahead of them when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And, there, and therefore, we do have eternal security. We do have claim on the promises that we can never lose. Had they obeyed the law of Moses and accepted that prophet that the Lord raised up among them of their own brethren that was like unto Moses, if they would have done that, then they would have continued in those things, and then they would have been secure. And that's why we see in the book of Hebrews, many people use Hebrews to teach someone can lose their salvation. No, no one can lose their salvation, but understand these Hebrews that the writer is speaking to, they were in danger of losing the promises, their inheritance, if they do not accept Jesus by faith, if they do not enter into his rest. We got started in rest through Jesus Christ, but the unbelieving Jews, they never got there. And so they lost all those things. They, they never achieved righteousness because they tried to gain it by the works of the law. We have attained righteousness. Why? Because we received it by faith in Jesus seconds. Christ. And so that's, uh, Israel does not have eternal security but those of faith do. The Israel of God does. Okay, thank you, Pastor Tommy, for that eight-minute rebuttal. We're now going to hand it over to Pastor Kirby. Whenever you're ready, just let me know, ready? and I can yeah. start your timer. Go ahead. Okay, I'm ready. Um, Pastor, I believe that um, I believe that you are confusing the. Uh, the faith of an individual Israelite with the promise to the nation. The, the Israel is not, when, when the Bible speaks of Israel being saved, it's that nation. It, it goes all the way back to Abraham. It's the nation, individuals, and um, we could land somewhere talking about Old Testament salvation. Um, I'm not, uh, I, whatever you want to call me as far as a dispensation. I was raised cut my teeth on Ruck, Ruckman, the Ruckman brand of Old Testament um, salvation by faith and works. Um, I have uh, investigated that quite a bit, and I, I, don't, I don't believe that anymore. I've made some adjustments, and I just do not believe that it's a, a strong position at all. Uh, so there are some things that um, I've just uh, broken away from, and, but 
it's that's another topic. I'm not really sure what you're meaning by putting that on an individual Israelite. I'm talking about the nation as a people. Now, since I am in numbers, uh, just look at chapter 23 uh, in verse number 10. The Bible says this is a uh, Balaam. And you're going to have to ask yourself a question here. This is uh, Balaam. And uh, he says, look, let me go back to verse nine. For from the top of the rock. Now, this is a prophet. This is a prophet that's in the spirit. His eyes are opened and things like that. Uh, now, he says, for from the top of the rocks, I see him. And from the hills, I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. He's looking at the nation, the physical nation of Israel. Notice what he says. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like this. This man is looking at something and I, you're going to have to ask yourself this question. Is that man on the top of a mountain looking down at a bunch of sheep herders stirring up dust? And is he that elated saying, let me die now? Uh, I, this is this, let my latter end be just like this. You don't think he's seen a bunch of uh, a multitude of men before? It couldn't be that impressive. I've stood on top of, of mountains and looked looked at uh, the populace from high mountains in my life. There's nothing really that impressive about that. He's seeing their latter end. He's seeing the hereafter, something else of their restoration, something to consider. Now, oh. Uh, <laughs> There's just when we when we speak of uh, where you said the church, something about the church, we began where Israel ended. Uh, there's some truth in that, but Israel, that's not their final end. Uh, they're uh, they are there again. It is just it's I am taken back how you could minimize and deflect the clear revelation from Scripture that sure, they, they are not in a good state right now. Uh, and uh, speaking of the wrath and things like that and why they lost the kingdom, everything you're mentioning there, it has to do with the violation of the, Mo, the, the, the Mosaic Covenant, the violation of the, the contingencies on the Mosaic Covenant. Now, uh, you mentioned uh, the circumcised, not in uh, Genesis chapter 17, uh, well, first of all, that's not an issue. There is no Orthodox Jew that's not circumcised. All of them, they, they took pride in circumcision. So that's that's the token of the Abrahamic covenant. But um, let me let me land somewhere here. I got a few minutes and oh, um, how about this? How about this? The church is called the house of God. We are the church. You would agree with that? The First uh, Timothy chapter 3, 15 says uh, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that's the body of Christ. That's the body that we are in. We are the church. And But you, you really must understand something. There's another house. There's, there's, there's two. There's not one body. There's two. There's two bodies, the house of Israel and the, and the church. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and this is Peter, of course, at Pentecost. And 
Acts chapter 2, notice this. Now, these you, you already know how the story ends in Acts chapter 2. They're added to the church, and that's chapter 2, verse uh, 47. They're added to the church. And he, uh, they're going to repent. And but that's not the leadership of Israel. That's just just people in Israel that have come from uh, the uh, diaspora. Uh, yeah, let's see. But notice what he says right before they repent. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the what house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. This is after the cross, man. And he's referring to another corporate body as the house of Israel. They're in the house of Israel there. And a few verses later, they're going to be in the church. They're in the church. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. You'll see in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14, uh, the same semantics, except he uses something a little different. He doesn't say they were added to the church. Look at chapter 5 and verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Uh, That's the body of Christ. So with that being said, man, uh, that's where you're, you're, I don't think you're missing it. I think you're minimizing that, that fact. And it is everywhere in scripture, more places than I can, uh, than I can name. Uh, so let me see here, the house of God. Yeah, it's, it's Christ's body. Um, how about this? I've got so much information here that that's my problem trying to weed something out. And I'm, Got about a minute and a half. How about I'll say this real quick. Um, we can go here at some point because I think that might be the chestnut uh, passage for replacement theology is Romans chapter nine and verse six. The saying they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Uh, I'd like to kind of discuss that with you at some point. And I want to know what you're seeing. Do you believe that that sh- is showing that there is a spiritual Israel? that uh, is is being enlarged by uh, people believing on Christ and becoming a part of spiritual Israel. And uh, you mentioned Galatians chapter six in verse number 16 about the Israel of God. I don't think you've considered what you're saying very much. I, I, at some point we'll, we'll walk through the scriptures and I want to show you the semantical chaos that, in, that ensues from making such a claim uh, about spiritual Israel. So I guess it looks like my time's up, man. And um, so we'll, I'll stop there, Donnie. Thank you, Pastor Kirby. Time flies by in these rebuttals and opening statements. I completely understand. And so great job to the both of you. I appreciate the openings and the rebuttals. Also to the audience, I am all caught up on questions. And so please keep tagging me with your questions, challenges, objections, whatever they may be uh, as we move into the discussion portion. And so rather than a real strict cross-exam, we're going to keep this next portion more free-flowing and organic, making sure that we're discussing one topic at a time and keeping it as equally timed as possible. And since Kirby just ended with his rebuttal, uh, Tommy, why don't we hand it over to you to pick the first topic for, for discussion. Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Um, did, do we have like a list of topics or just kind of whatever? Um, I, I do have, uh, the, the two subtopics that I'll make sure we discuss, but if there's anything that really stood out so far that Kirby has said that you'd like to touch on first, Tommy, okay. we could do that. <clears throat> yeah. So one thing that's very important, um, about a lot of the prophetic passages about Israel, and he referred to, 
Uh, he uh, referred to the prophecy of Balaam. Uh, and one thing that we often see in the Bible um, that I think is important to understand and important to, to get when talking about Israel is when you had the people, the physical people of Israel. Um, I like what God calls them in Exodus 4, verse 22. It says, Now shall say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And, and I'm showing you all this because you brought up a very good point at, that there's a difference, you could say, between the nation and then individual Jews. And so, uh, yeah, I do want to maybe clarify some things on that. So I do believe that physical nation, uh, what made them special was the seed that was within that nation, which was Jesus Christ, who was... Uh, in the loins of Abraham, and that was going to come from there. And I believe in Exodus 4, this message, of course, was meant to tell Pharaoh, let my people out of here. But I believe God prophetically is speaking here, too, about Jesus Christ. In he, Hosea 11, verse 1, it says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They, sac they sacrificed unto Balaam and burn incense to graven images. And I read that second verse because Matthew 2.15 quotes Hosea 11.1 1, and says, and was there until the death of Herod, talking about Jesus, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. So what we see in the Bible is what was important about Israel. It was not a genetic group of people. Flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of God, but it was the seed that was going to come from them. Jesus took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus, the Messiah was promised he would come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David. And so understand God protected them. God preserved them and God loved them. Be, not because of them so much. They were pretty rotten and God wanted to kill them several times, but because of Jesus Christ. And so there are many things that we can look at in the Old Testament where there are some uh, prophecies about Israel, but they were fulfilled and they were mainly about one individual, and that was Jesus Christ. He was what mattered with Israel, and Jesus Christ came. And so the promises that were to Israel can be kept because one of Israel did keep the law and became a curse for us died but then rose again and he was able to preserve all of those who were of faith and so what i feel like you're doing is you're taking promises and applying it to a physical genetic group of people that ultimately uh according to romans the unbelieving ones were cut off uh the time of the gentiles it came in Israel was trodden underfoot of the Gentiles for three and a half years. They were destroyed as a nation. Their temple was destroyed. God finished with all those things. And so I guess my question is, is do we, are we having this mentality like today where if somebody identifies as a woman, 
we got to accept that they're a woman? And are we thinking if somebody identifies as Israel, we have to agree that they're of Israel? What proves that somebody is of Israel today? What would you say is their deed or claim to the promises of God, to the land? How does one prove they are of Israel? I'm, I'm not a forensic. Uh, I don't. I can't read forensics, man. So I wouldn't know. I couldn't prove what I am either. I can't prove. I couldn't prove that my parents are my real parents, except they told me I am. You see. So uh, let me. I don't know how else to answer that because we get you get into the data of. I know they keep up with each other's pedigree a lot better than we do. Uh, that you know, Paul knew where he was from. You know, and after four hundred years of the dispersion. And uh, so, you know, with that being said, don't know if I have a real if I've really looked into that and been challenged too much with that. Um, But. I'm just saying that. Let me ask you something, I guess. I I hope I'm not skirting your question, but Tommy, would it would it change anything about where we're at? Could if we could find some common ground? I'm I am telling you, man, there are two bodies there's no doubt about that there's two bodies there's the house of israel and there's the house of god which is the church that uh you spoke of the reformation you know in romans 9 i don't believe you're correct about that either but would this would this help i can see that in the future way down the way down through uh uh time uh that they are going to be together one they are they are I'm, i think we're looking at two aspects of one body have you ever considered that the reason i say that let me uh it's in ephesians chapter one if i can look at that real quick we um ephesians chapter one i think it's verse 10 ephesians 1 10 uh I don't know if you've ever considered this or, but it's um, notice that uh, speaking of the pleasure of God and how things, his purpose, notice in uh, verse number 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, whenever the fullness of times is, it could be argued as the fullness of times when, you know, Christ came, or I think it's, it's way in the future because the millennial reign is even defined, you know, given a time, a thousand years when the fullness of times he might gather together, in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Now, that Jewish kingdom is a physical earthly kingdom. And, of course, the church is a spiritual entity. I, I think it could clear up a whole lot of, of, of argumentation and things if we could kind of entertain that thought that ultimately they are going to be together. When you say about the seed being Christ, I don't have any problem at all with that but that doesn't negate the physical promises of their destination being fixed and restoration to israel uh just uh didn't know if you'd ever considered that well yeah no i but i guess i believe that that already happened i think he already made us both one when he started including gentiles into the church because you brought up how they were added to the church If you go through the book of Acts, one of the things you'll notice when it's talking about people being added to the church, obviously it's when people are getting saved, but these especially 
were groups of people who were kind of being shut out of the things of the temple. And they were including a lot of these outcasts of Israel. And the more the church would include people that normally were excluded, the more upset the Jews were getting at them. That was part of their problem. There were already multiple sects of Jews that hung around the temple and claimed the temple. And as long as they were Jews, they were fine with it. The final straw was when they started including Gentiles. Uh, that's when they really got up, you know, they really got upset. And the church in Jerusalem, uh, they they failed in ever really allowing Gentiles to be a part of it. Because in chapter 21, when Paul came, he's meeting with the church at the temple. You know, the, that New Testament church didn't know they quit being Jews when they obeyed and they accepted Jesus as a Messiah. But what was the rumor that they started that caused the riot? They said he brought a Gentile. Well, why were the Jew, the Christians in Jerusalem excluding Gentiles? You know, I and that's I, I don't want to go too deep in the woods on that. But, you know, here, here's the thing about it. They were inc uh, including and adding people that normally were outcasts. You mentioned that uh, when it comes to genealogies, you know, you kind of pulled a Kentanji Brown Jackson. I'm not a biologist, but they got to have some kind of claim. If we're going to support them, we're going to defend them. But here's the thing. Paul did know. You know why? Because he was of the, the tribe of Benjamin. And if you study Bible history, what we see in the Bible, those 10 tribes that had gotten taken captive earlier, they didn't know their genealogy. We see in Ezra and Nehemiah, there was the group that couldn't prove their lineage and they, they got removed from the priesthood. As a result, the only groups that were what you could call approvable Jews, they were um, those Pharisees that were from the tribe of uh, Benjamin and Judah of the Southern kingdom. And that's kind of what the Pharisees were, those who could claim their pedigree. And in the time of Christ, most of the Jews had already lost records and didn't know, you know, the details or they couldn't prove them. And I'm here to tell you after 70 AD, none of them could after everything was destroyed. And said, and so the, the thing is, if, you know, so we've got to ask that question. What gives somebody a claim today? What makes the UN creation over there that started in 1948? How, how did, you know, what makes them Israel? Did the UN make them Israel or did God make them Israel? We see whenever you mentioned when uh, Israel got started, you know, they had a miracle. They had a sign. They had the burning bush. What was the miracle of 1948? What miracle has Israel had since then? There, there's absolutely been nothing at all to put God's stamp of approval on anything that has taken place over there. And so the two becoming one has already happened. It happened in the first century. And we see it happen in the book of Acts. And, and, and it greatly upset unbelieving Jews, caused a persecution that ultimately uh, led to them... Uh, you know, persecuting the Christians. And so, um, yeah, I I think the prophecies about the two becoming one have already taken place. I think Ephesians, uh, you mentioned Ephesians 1.10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Now, you could say, well, you know, that will physically be fulfilled at the coming of Christ. And I understand that. But chapter two goes on and makes it very clear that 
in time past, you were called Gentiles or you were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants and promise. You had having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye sometimes who were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one broken down the middle wall partition between us. It's already happened. The two bodies became one and we are all in Christ. And so uh, my claim to the inheritance is Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that is within me. My claim, that, that's my claim. The, the Jews of today, I, I need to know what is their claim? What is their proof? What is their deed? What is their ticket? If you say the law, then I have to. I have several questions because the law worketh wrath, and if it's of the law, then it's not of promise. If it's of the promise, you say, well, it's the promises. Well, the Bible says that's to those who are of faith, like Abraham. And Jesus told the Jews who didn't believe him that they weren't Abraham's children because they didn't believe him. So I, I need to know how you, uh, how one makes their claim to be of this Israel that you're talking about? Well, as far as, far as the uh, faith, the faith will come from the furnace of the great tribulation. There, that's, that's a Bible prophecy that's seen dozens and dozens of, time, of times through the, uh, throughout the scripture. Uh, it's nothing to do with the law. We know they lost the kingdom because of their violation of the Mosaic covenant. The law's done. The, the law is done. The house of God is the church. What was it before? It was not Israel. It was the temple. Could you agree to that? Mm -hmm. I agree. Okay. So that's the reformation, sir, not mm -hmm. Israel to the church. And uh, again, I'm asserting this and uh, that there, it's two bodies. Uh, you mentioned um, the Jews, only Jews go by the name of the, uh, only Benjamin and Judah are, are called Jews. No, that is no, there were, there were, I think there were some rare exceptions. Um, there was, uh, there's a couple other tribes that are mentioned, but I'm just saying historically the Southern kingdom was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And therefore, you know, they made up a majority of the Pharisees, but there were exceptions, but as for the most part, that Northern kingdom, they were, they were all spread out. And, uh, we see a lot of them, even the, some of the priests, um, that were, you know, considered polluted because they weren't able to give their genealogies and that's all uh that's mentioned in ezra or nehemiah i can't remember which one well that was a, a case i know what you're talking about in ezra but uh pastor we can stay with this if you want to but friend uh that's that's patently untrue that a jew is someone said that somewhere and someone believed it and repeated it it cannot meet the demands of scripture no, well i'm uh, saying yes paul was able to prove his lineage no, I'm and, talking and about the southern tribes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, talking about Paul, I'm just saying that Paul was very, he for sure was able to prove his lineage. And because of the fact he was a Pharisee, had he not been able to prove his lineage, he wouldn't have been a Pharisee. And, and so the fact he was from Benjamin, just, you know, it was, it, there was a lot more of them mm -hmm. because they weren't as polluted, I guess you could say, as many others. I'm sure there was exceptions from some of the other tribes, but I, I'm just here to tell you now, no one, no one can prove 
uh, what they have. So what is the deed? What is the claim? What makes Israel Israel today? Because if you're claiming that there is a body that is separate from the church that is Israel, what makes them Israel? Pastor, do you realize what you're saying? You just said the reason Paul knew of his pedigree was because of his leadership position in Israel. Friend, that's what this whole thing is about. That Jesus said, you will not hear see me again till you hear, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That is the leadership of Israel. We can park there if we need to and land and look at the scriptures to show clearly that is what. And I guarantee you, they know their pedigree. The Jews of today and know their pedigree. The leadership of Israel knows their pedigree. Um, Just because now, Paul did doesn't mean they do today. Well, don't you, don't please don't insert post hoc rationalization on what you're saying either, mm -hmm. because that. Uh, there's too much. And like I said, I think we could get bogged down with that without there's no real epistemic value to to questioning something that we don't know about there. The miracle of 1948, again, when we speak of the geopolitical uh, um, position of Israel, the reason I'm not very interested in getting into that subject is because data can be so manipulated. Political data can definitely be manipulated for everything that you minimize about uh, uh, showing that it's just propped up by the UN. Uh, I can show you miracle after miracle that goes that 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 lines up with the with how God has always blessed that Jew militarily. They can fight. Always and monetarily, they know how to make money. And God gave them that gift to be able to survive because they are a cup of trembling and they are not reckoned among the nations and things like that. Uh, there's something about that that, that, and again, I could probably make just as strong a case opposing whatever case you made, but at the end of the day, um, don't know how much value that has with, with internal evidence of of what scripture is showing about the restoration of Israel, how it's going to be done, the political machinery behind it uh, and the mechanics of the news events and things like that. Uh, we can do better than that with the time that we have. I do believe. Okay. But let me, so let me say it this way, because I, I really want somebody to give me an answer to this. So I am an American citizen. Okay. How do I know? I, I have a birth certificate. I have a social security number. You know, these are credentials that I have. And it makes me, and it's, it's proof that I am an American citizen. My birth certificate shows I was born in America. And the constitution, uh, our, our nation has a constitution. And in that constitution, if you're born in America, you are an American. And so what makes our country legit? Again, we, you know, we had a declaration of independence. We fought a war to win that independence. You know, we, we have a constitution, we have a law, we have a system, all these things are in place. And I am a part of that. And my, my credentials, you know, said is my birth certificate, social security number, all those things with Israel. Okay. There's gotta be something that makes you a part of that nation. I'm sure they've got a system in place. I know if I wanted to become a part of that, I got to convert to Judaism. That's a part of their laws and rules and constitution and things that they have. I, I, and so my question is, is when Israel came into being in 1948, 
you know, was that of God? Was God behind that? It was God that started the nation of Israel, and it was it was God that gave them the oracles of God, and it was God who destroyed those oracles, um, you know, in 70 AD uh, through the, the, you know, he did it through the Roman armies when they burn all those things down. So uh, what what can you show me from the Bible that legitimizes a group of people who conquered Palestine uh, militarily? You know, where where is that stamp of approval from God in the Bible that shows their claim is legit and their name? Because I personally think and this is my opinion. I personally believe that what we're seeing is the rise of the beast system. I believe that that's what it is. I believe the name of Israel being on it is just an example of the names of blasphemy. They're they're claiming the names of God, but this is a people who reject the Messiah, who are opposed to the Messiah, who you literally have to, uh, you know, you've got to, if you're a Christian, you have to renounce Christ and accept Judaism in order to be a part of the system. Why is God behind a nation that to become a part of it, you have to, you literally have to renounce the Messiah. It doesn't make any sense. This is, an antichrist system that Jesus is going to destroy when he comes. And at best, um, you know, at, at best, if, if they have any claim to be in Israel at all, I would say, uh, you know, it's m- nothing more than the beast whose deadly wound was healed. If 1940, it was anything. I don't believe. Uh, in fact, if you look at the geopolitical situation of Israel today, you can make a good argument. That they still aren't even technically a nation yet they're just an occupying force uh in palestine and many nations much of our world does not even recognize them it's just america does and we think we're the whole world and speak for the whole world and the united nations does well again with data being able to we could both assert i would say you better thank god that america did take care of it you better thank god you live in america that that did support Israel has supported Israel and uh, promise you, uh, I do believe I will bless them that bless thee and curse them cursed thee. I think it predicates, but I say this, um, yeah, the Balfour Declaration is a legal document. They got them there. Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, we could sit, we, I could, you want biblical evidence that what about all of this stuff where God said they're going to return to their land? They will be, this is the most hated group of people who is that has ever lived they've been ostracized and pushed out they are they are um with no no place since uh, uh 600 bc roughly have been plucked up out of their land and and uh have been a fugitive on planet earth and god said they're going to be restored if you can't see the miracle in that and if you can't see the attack from five nations surrounding them when they were uh, established as a nation and how they fought them, fought them just like uh, Abraham, just like Abraham fought for Lot against five nations uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 14. I believe it was somewhere around there. And you, you can't see the um, the continuity there. And, you know, again, I I'm kind of reluctant to really land here because it's it's not that meaningful to try to persuade. If you can't see that, I'm just sorry that you can't. 
but there's uh, there probably is pastor an agenda on your part not to see it because there's there's something else that you're trying to advocate or trying to dismantle and uh the the my fidelity is to scriptural authority and you're just not going to be able to get away from the the you you're saying so many things that are that you are asserting with really no real basis and that's why it's so important instead of I don't like talking over you. And I, uh, we, I know you said you, we shouldn't talk over each other and dismiss. I'm really trying to listen to you and try, trying to be a better listener. <laughs> and um, so best I can tell you just no matter what, you're not going to believe anything that there's any merit to uh, 1948. Hey, let's just for, for just for, practical for uh let's just assume it has no merit there's nothing to it whatsoever it's just a coincidence okay that doesn't negate but they are going to occupy that land uh i do not uh sure they may be setting up you can't say enough bad about israel they may be setting up and preparing the way for the antichrist we know that's going to happen there's no i have no problem with that either See, that still doesn't dis that doesn't negate the scriptural um, data that's pointing to a restored Israel. There, uh, that that has to do with revelation and things like that. So, but see, I, I have asserted strongly that I, I really, unless you can t- teach me something here, and I'm, I'm maybe I'll learn something. I don't see a spiritual Israel, sir. The church is not spiritual Israel. That I'm not seeing that, and I'm I'm looking at some things. I am seeing two bodies. Look, and uh, do, do you disagree wholeheartedly with me that there are two bodies? There is a spiritual body. There is Israel, and there is the church, and they are not the same. You do, do you disagree with that, or do you see that there's merit at all to that? I believe both those bodies have been made one. Okay. And so they've already been made one. So the fullness of times, you're going you're ready to land there and bite down on that and say the fullness of times of Ephesians chapter one, verse 10 has, has, has happened. The fullness of times, even though we're still, we haven't been, we haven't been physically brought together. That won't happen until the resurrection. Okay. Uh, so when all things in heaven and earth are going to be drawn in, in it's kind of like this, Pastor, the fullness of times, when that happens, it will probably, uh, and this is, you know, I'm very loose on this. I can't speak with absolute certainty, but uh, it, at some point in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, right? Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, with the, the incarnate God, Christ, will not be, uh, he will take his place again back as the word and on into eternity future. Those kind of things gathered up like that. There's going to be a lot of closure to a lot of things that are that have been separated in uh, in the course of time. Israel and the church, I have no problem seeing them morph together in some way. And I'm 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 still in exploratory mode on that and not real don't have real closure with that, but it's, these are thoughts worthy of consideration, but uh, no, sir, they, I I can guarantee you their two bodies right now. I can absolutely show that from the scriptures and uh, we can, we can look at it now. If you, if you 
want to. Well, I would say if there are two bodies that um, that the ones that are a part of physical Israel are just in the graves, because Jesus said we're going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, but the children of the kingdom are going to be thrust out. And so, uh, you know, so again, that people who are of that physical nation of Israel who are of faith, they're all dead and in the graves right now. They're in heaven with Christ, but there is going to be a resurrection. And then those mm -hmm. uh, from all over the world, because God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. You know, we're all going to be joined together. I just don't believe there's a physical people of God now that we would call Israel that you can separate from us. I, be I believe we are the people of God and we are connected to the people of God from the Old Testament. We are the continuation of the church in the wilderness. And, you know, and as far as, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, just, you know, several things you mentioned real quickly, but, you know, you talked about the Jews, how, uh, you know, proof they're like the most hated people in the world. That proves they're the people of God. But no, I didn't say that. You talk about them being the I, most hated I didn't say people. that. Yeah, I did oh, not okay. say that proves well, they're I the people of God. I guess that's God. often said as proof. Yeah. But, you know, Jesus, or uh, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.15, talking about Jews, said who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary mm -hmm. to all men. Yeah, all men are against the Jews, and so is God. And so, uh, and then he goes on to say, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. As far as the miracle of 1948, I, I don't know how deeply you've looked into what happened in 1948, but it's it's very confusing. The documentation on it is is not real clear. Much of the world did not accept that there was no miracle in 1948. There was only a UN resolution. Now, when preachers, when the prophecy guys talk about the miracle of Israel becoming a nation uh, and the six nations surrounding them, that's a reference to the Six Day War in 1967. Well, yeah. you can go look at what happened in the Six Day War in 1967. There was no miracle of God. There was a brilliant military strategy by the Israelis. The reason that the Israelis were considered greatly outnumbered and surrounded and greatly overwhelmed is because all the nations surrounding them that were against them all had way more air power. And it was all about the air power during that time. And the Israelis did a sneak attack and took out all their bases at one time, thus immediately giving them all control. But even when they won those things, all they did was conquered some land. They conquered the old city, Jerusalem. They conquered the temple Mount. They cried out the temple Mount is in our hands and Hebrews and Jews all over the world went crazy. And then uh, the UN came along and said, ah, time out, give it back to the Muslims. You know, and in reality, all they got out of it was the Jewish quarter of the old city that they had been barred from since 1948. Um, so it's just there was no mir there was no miracle even today. Okay, you know, do do a study on just who owns the Temple Mount. You know what? It's super confusing. You know why? Because nobody agrees. To who's in charge, who's in control. We, we, what we have today is what they call a status quo. And so just understand the status quo is that a bunch of the world recognizes Israel as a nation, a bunch of the world doesn't, but we're not shooting at each other right now. So everybody's just leaving it alone.
And I do believe one of these days that this blasphemous group of people calling themselves in a blasphemous way, Israel, are going to commit the ultimate act of blasphemy. And they are going to rebuild a temple that they will refer to as the temple of God. And a guy who, in a blasphemous way, will declare himself to be a Messiah. And I believe that the Jews will blasphemously accept him as their Messiah. And I believe when the husbandman returns, he's going to uh, miserably destroy those wicked husbandmen. And he's going to say, those that would not that I should reign over him, bring them before me and slay them before me. That, that's what I believe is going to happen. So, uh, you know, the talking points of Israel being hated, uh, you know, there's a reason. Uh, the talking point of the miracle. Now, there was there's no there was no miracle in 1948. There was no miracle in 1967. Uh, these are talking points because the Jews are desperately looking for a miracle. And they think they've had them. Go look at their menorah outside the Temple Mount Institute. It's not even real gold. But they'll tell you it's real gold. You know why? Because it rained gold for 40 days on it. That never happened. And, and it's just they they make things up and people eat it up. And I think it's a shame. And uh, we don't need to play along with their fantasy. I don't believe Juice, Bruce Jenner is a man. And I don't believe these people over there are Israel. Or a woman, I guess. I don't believe Bruce. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Well, Pastor. The Actually, Kirby, before you respond, and I want to give you the chance to respond to anything you'd like to. And then I was wondering if it might be a good idea to pick a, a specific scripture. Let's say on your side, Kirby, that you feel better supports the position you're defending here. Then we can also do the same for Tommy and kind of uh, focus a little bit on, on those details of, of specific scriptures. Anyways, Kirby, go ahead. Oh, I just uh, concerning what what you said about the uh, pastor. You realize what you're doing, man. You say it's not a miracle, and then you refer to the news event. The news event is the is the political machinery behind it. Friend, can you? No, you're you're not going to concede this. I see providence, the divine hand of providence behind the scene. If you were back in Ezra in Nehemiah's day. Uh, when they were commissioned to go back to the temple, you would have said the same thing about that. That's providence. God, God, uh, through Cyrus, gave a, a decree from a Gentile world power to go back and to build the temple. But you know what? Based on what you're saying, you would say, no, that's not a miracle of God. The, uh, Cyrus did that. And you would you would refer to the news event. And uh, but listen, man, a, a thinking person would already see continuity. Do you see how God has preserved the Jews through through Gentile world powers? The, the world power at that time was Great Britain. They withdrew occupation in 1948 and gave that to the Jews. And you had the, they had the fight to keep it. And as far as the whatever the reasons for the airstrike, where it, whatever that is, I'm seeing the divine hand of providence. 1948, you you minimize it and you deflect it and then you redirect it toward the political machinery. I said that's 2,500 years, man, of prophecy of them running their own people in their own land. That Jew has survived again. He is a burning bush, and he is um, uh, the Amalekites and the Hittites and all of these other groups have gone. They still got their language. The Jews have retained their language and they've retained their, if they've retained their language, I just believe that they've retained their, their lineage. 
And uh, there's no, there's just, uh, there's too much there to minimize by, by referring to some news event. Again, we can manipulate data all day long in order to po use post hoc uh, rationalization to justify our ideology. And we're tethered to that ideology so strongly that sometimes you can really uh, be blind to what's right, right in front of you. But uh, I guess since Donnie said something about this, I, I'll ask you a quick question. It's it probably pretty quick, but man, for the church that's existing and then then uh, the church in the wilderness, the only time I ever see that Israel was called a church was in the wilderness while they're in the wilderness. Stephen referred to them as a church in the wilderness. And a church is a church is a very generic term. The ecclesia it's, a, it's an assembly called out assembly. Um, uh was John the Baptist, wouldn't he have, wouldn't he have been part of the church? But you know what? He's not the bride. According to John 329, he's a friend of the bridegroom. That's an absolute fact. Now we're landing. We're getting with biblical data. John is not, uh, he's not the bridegroom. He's not the bride. He's a friend of the bridegroom. He was not the bride. Can you explain that? Yeah, he was just a very special messenger. It was his job to point out the Messiah. That that was the job that he was given. Did, to, is he, uh, did he get saved? Yes. Is, is he got eternal life? Then what yes. body is he in, sir? The bride of Christ. No, sir. No, sir. Look at John 3.29. He's, he's a friend of the bridegroom. He's a friend. He's The, the bride he's is the, the body of Christ. No, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom right. and, and the bride is the church and he's neither one. So he's just his own thing. Does it? So God's got two peoples so, of God and John the Baptist. Hey, that's what the text says. I'm not saying what he is, or, but I'm showing the text shows what he is not. Was he's he a friend Israel? of the bridegroom. He was, when you say of Israel, his, yes. yeah, of course he's a, he's a, uh, of the priestly tribe. He's a, he's a, Okay, so then he um, yeah. would be, so he's not the bride, but he's of Israel. When you is say the, of Israel, see, yeah, that's so another you got, thing. You've got the Israel body, and then you've got, you know, the Christians. So you're saying okay. that John the Baptist will be in that separate one. The well, one I, of, the I'm, one of Israel. I can... I'm willing to learn anything. I think it has a lot to do with him being in the spirit of Elijah. I think that 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 helps a lot with that. Is all I'm trying to show you is that John is not in that corporate body called the bride of Christ. Okay? Because when you say of Israel, could we talk about Romans 9 for a moment? Yeah. Because Romans 9 6, um, if we could look at Romans 9 6, I've got a question for you. Okay. okay. And man. Let's go slow, okay? Let's 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 land for a minute. Uh, let me find Romans chapter nine, um, and of course, verse. Uh, let me find it, John X. Yeah, Romans chapter nine, and because man, everything really that you're advocating seems to be predicated up on an idea here. It's found in Romans chapter nine and verse six, where it says, not as though the word of God has taken none effect for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. You mentioned John the Baptist being of Israel. Okay. And he was of Israel. That's, that's a physical lineage of Israel. Got a question for you. And if you will, let, 
let me go back to this, but I, I, I don't want to overload you with a lot of information and try to. So I, that's why I'm going to ask you questions as I go through the text. Um, they are not. Are you seeing this passage of scripture as as Israel being a spiritual entity that is a good thing? And some people don't get to be in that good thing. I guess you could put it that way. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question about that. Mm -hmm. um, the context does not allow that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is Israel, based on what we're seeing in the context, not any framing from outside of this narrative, the immediate context, when you look at this, starts off with, with speaking of Israel, saying, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. This is physical, physical, physical. He says, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, more than one promise, it's plural promises, who, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall, God bless forever. Amen. Now, he's going to say, he says that, making an indictment against Israel. He's lamenting for the state of Israel. Okay, not, not talking about the political state, but the condition of Israel. He says, not as though, in other words, it's not all lost. All hope is not gone. He says this, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Why? So there's hope. Oh, yeah. For they are not all Israel. Is Israel a good thing or a bad thing? Friend, the context demands that Israel's not a place you want to be right there. You don't want to be Israel here. But some people are of Israel. You know who's of Israel? The guy that's writing that. That's Paul. Saul of Tarshish was of Israel, of the stock of Abraham. But you know what? He says that all that are born uh, of that lineage, they are not those who are of Israel are not Israel. Why? Because he's in another body where there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. That is uh, in Galatians. So this is not an expansion, an enlargement of some spiritual entity called Israel. This is a narrowing of physical Israel. They're losing customers. They're losing people to this new corporate entity called the church. I would disagree with that, and I, and here's why. Be I think the key uh, statement in there is when he says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. He's already uh, thrown some accusations at Israel earlier in the book of Romans, and he's letting them know that, you know, hey, I wanted to be saved. I could wish my, that I were a curse for him. I mean, the it says, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption. Everything that Jesus Christ bought, brought, salvation, the covenants, everything, it was it pertained or it was made for Israel. And they had all these things. They were the ones who concerning the flesh Christ came. He came for Israel. So when it says not as though the word of God had taken none effect, why is he saying that? Because he's just basically said that Israel is in trouble. So of course, if Israel is I agree. In, yeah, so here's the thing. If Israel is in trouble, then that might lead one to think that the word of God had taken none effect. And so what, what does he do here? He's, he's not necessarily expanding. He's clarifying. And so when he says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. 
But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. So he's wanting them to understand that while he is claiming that Israel is not saved, and rightfully so, even though Christ came for them, the law was given for them, everything was, the covenants were made for them, he is, he's not expanding, but he's clarifying and showing that those who are just of the flesh are not the children of God. The word of God is correct. The promises that were made in the Old Testament, it might seem like there's a conflict here because there's all these wonderful things promised to Israel, yet Paul is claiming they're on their way to hell. And so he's showing, no, the word of God is accurate. Here's what you need to understand is that the children of the flesh are not the children of God. The children of promise are counted for the seed. So that's why he said what, what he did. And so that's where we get the idea of a spiritual Israel, because we understand that, uh, you know, being of a physical nation doesn't prove anything, you know? Um, so Kyle Preston, who loves me to death, uh, he wants me to prove that I'm a Jew. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's, here's my proof I'm a Jew. It's called the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I put my faith and trust in him, and he's given me the circumcision of the heart. He's given me a circumcision not made with hands, uh, not in the flesh, but in the heart. Jesus Christ is my proof. Jesus Christ is my, is my claim on the promises to Israel. And so he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. It's an, it's an inward thing. And so I will prove that to you, I'm a Jew, not through my lineage, not through the law, definitely not through my keeping of the law, but through my faith, through what I profess in Jesus Christ. And so I have something that a circumcision with hands could never bring, uh, that the law could never bring, I have something that comes from faith. Pastor, Let's land back on this again, okay? Because uh, all due respect, you said a lot of things and stirred up some smoke. You created enough of a smoke screen to get out of this, <laughs> okay? All right, let's get back friend, in. I don't want to do that. I know you don't. Uh, but, friend, Israel here is not good. You see that. And he says, but, hey, there's hope. It's not as though the word of God has taken none effect because not everybody that's of that lineage belongs there they're they're in another body they are not israel they are not identified with israel anymore you can't make that a spiritual entity that is good and see you you then went back to this is three we're dealing with three generations from abraham notice the text doesn't say they're not all israel who are of abraham we're not dealing with isaac and ishmael or jacob and esau we're dealing with the uh, the seed of Ab of, of Jacob, see, which and that is, you're not going to get away from that. It, it just you you might have to meditate upon that and pray about it sometime. That is the context does not allow Israel to be some spiritual entity that we claim as 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 members of the New Testament body of Christ. It mm -hmm. does not allow that. Would okay. you handle another? Okay, go ahead. Well, all right, so let me make sure I understand this because you said this isn't about Isaac uh, and Esau, even though, or Abraham, Not, even though. Well, verse know. six isn't. No, okay. sir. Verse six okay. is about Jacob, Israel. Okay. All right. So you're saying, when, so 
make sure I understand it. When you're saying they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, you're saying that Jews um, basically are no longer a part of that Israel because they are in Christ. So you're saved saying Jews, one, yes, saved okay. people. So you're saying saved Jews are not of Israel. Can I give you an example that I think would help you? Let okay. me give you a quick example. And uh, how about this? The guy that wrote Romans or the, the author of Romans, Saul of Tarsus. Um, oh, let me see. I've got some some kind of note on that. Uh, how about this? Mm. Saul of Tarsus. I'm going to have to probably go by some memory here. Um, I know this. He gets saved. This Paul gets saved. We know how that works, right? On the road to Damascus. Yes, where he's he's not of Israel. He's in another body. He is in the church. He says in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, speaking of uh, of someone, I forgot the name, but he said, uh, salute so-and-so who was in Christ before me. So, so he is in Christ. He is of Israel. He's not Israel. He's he's in Christ. He is in the body of Christ where there's neither Jew nor Greek. He's put into a, another. Um, so with that being said, um, how do I want to say this? He is, well, again, you've got, you've got the house of God. You've got, you've got the house of God is the church. The house of Israel is still intact. That's still, and there's people. And if they will get saved, they're not Israel anymore. Kind of like, hey, the semantics are kind of the same as in uh, Galatians chapter Two verse nine and three verse nine mentioning the synagogue of Satan. Mm -hmm. Okay, he, they're of in chapter three verse nine he says they're of the synagogue of Satan, but in chapter two verse nine he says they are the synagogue of Satan. You see, kind of mm -hmm. like saying I'm of America or I am America, kind of that mm -hmm. those same semantics. And so there's I like to see continuity in Scripture that support uh, something, if I'm going to assert something like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he is, uh, so here's Paul. He, he gets saved and he is, um, he's not, uh, he's not Israel yet. He is, um, see, here's, here's the thing, man. Saul, he said, he, Paul said in Galatians chapter one, verse 15, he says, it, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. And of course he's, he's, he ends up going, let me just go there real quick. Uh, I wish I could keep up with my notes, but I, I can't. Um, he, Paul, okay. Saul persecuted the church. Think about the times he said, I persecuted the church, which is the body of Christ. First Corinthians 15 verse nine says he says I, he's making an indictment against himself i persecuted the church galatians chapter 1 verse 13 says the same thing and um he says it in philippians chapter 3 i want to read philippians 3 pretty quickly because if i'm not mistaken i'm almost going to guarantee you're going to say yeah he he was in he was in the of the house of israel persecuting the church they're both that's two groups that are together he got out of one group and got into another. See, and you, so if you assert that, Hey, he was not of the true Israel and things like that, because if you try, that's post hoc justification and it has no place in uh, meaningful dialogue at all. But if you do assert that, look at chapter three of uh, Philippians three and look at verse number six, 
says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, watch this, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was in good conscience doing the known will of God for his life. And he's blameless. You know who he shares company with? John the Baptist's parents. In uh, Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 6, it is speaking of Zechariah and, and the parents. Of, he it says the same thing. And I'll quote it to you in Luke chapter 1, verse number 6. Um, it says they were blameless. And I'll probably mess it up if I try to quote it. But here I am. I'm in Luke chapter one, verse number six. And there, this is right here with Paul. And it says that they were both righteous. That's the parents of John before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the law, blameless. I say that for this reason. Paul was Israel. He was in the, of the house of Israel. And he got translated to the house of God, which is the body of Christ. And those are two separate groups. There's not one morphed into another. They're they're separate. And again, I know the time gets away from us. Park there as long as you want, and we'll show you time and time again how that is the same. Even in Revelation chapter 19, you you might want to explain at some point why there's two armies coming back with the Lord. The Lord's coming back with the saints, and it's it's two separate armies. Okay, so I think I think I'm following two here. bodies. Okay. So let me um, let me ask one question because I don't want to just try to make you saying something you're not saying. So based on where we at, what's that? Where are we at, sir? So on Romans nine, uh, okay. back to this uh, idea of people who are saved, they're no longer of Israel, but they are a part of Christ. So, for example, when Paul said that in chapter eleven, you know, I am an Israelite. Yeah, you know. He's just claiming his legal physical. Yeah. The fit, the physical Physically, yeah. status. Absolutely. But here in Romans nine, you're saying that um, those who are not of Israel, that that's a good thing because that they're not they're Israel. Israel. Doesn't say they're no, they're they're Yeah. They're right, of I mean, Israel. Yeah, they're no longer part of that physical group, but they're in Christ. They were, it's almost like just say America, totally the wheels came off and it is a, just as you know, violate the constitution. America is just as sorry as could be. I am of America, but let's say somehow I became a citizen of something else. I'm of America, but I'm not America. You understand mm -hmm. that they are, they're not identified with that at all. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, so the, you, Hey, it's what I'm saying is this brother, you may, there still may be merit. If we if we're being honest, there may be merit to what you believe about this, but you can't predicate that upon Romans chapter nine, verse six. Well, here's, not here's, why, I, here's why I think you can. If we reason out what you're saying there, because I'm trying to make sure I got it. So let's if when we look at this, when it's talking about uh, we're making sure the word of God has taken not taken effect because Paul's claiming Israel's not saved, even right. though the promises were for them. Jesus came for them. So has the word of God not taken that effect? He goes for they are not all Israel which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall they see be called. So would you say that the uh, seed of Abraham is not Israel? Can I interrupt you for one second, sir? Mm -hmm. Donnie, you may be interested in this. My ear pods, I need to charge them up. Can I go without these in the mic and see if, will that mess things up if I try that? Or Yeah, you can I give it a shot right now, and then if it doesn't work, you can... 
Do I need to get off of uh, 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 Bluetooth, though, and, and take that off? I guess um, I do, Donna. So you're, you're taking them off right now. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes, sir. Let me do that real quick. I apologize. Um, I don't know what. No worries. Um, so as Kirby Tab is doing that, maybe we'll go another few minutes. Pastor Tommy will let you respond uh, and take mm -hmm. as much time as you need to Kirby's arguments there. Yeah. And then I've got a whole bunch of great audience questions, a couple of my own that I've incorporated as well, dealing with specific verses. And so we can continue the discussion there and just kind of allow uh, you and Kirby to go back and forth on some of those questions. Okay. Yeah. I'll just briefly kind of give a summary of, I guess, why I would disagree with this. So, uh, or with what Pastor Tab is saying about this. And I, I do think I get him now. I did, I misunderstood him at first, but what he's doing here, hey, uh, when he's saying they're not all, what, yeah, when, it, when he says they're not all of Israel, Israel, Israel neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but Isaac shall see be called. He's going on to show, Hey, the word of God has taken effect. Even though I'm claiming that Israel is not saved, okay, the word of God is in effect because the truth is the children of the flesh are not the children of God. The children of promise are counted for the seed. And then he gives examples and he talks about, you know, Abraham had two sons and in, in Galatians. He talks about the same concept. One of a bond woman, one of a free woman, but the one who is a promise, that's Isaac. That's where we come from. A lot of people think that the, you know, they talk about the Ishmaelites all the time. Uh, like that's the Muslims. No, the Jews are the Ishmaelites. Why? Because they are only of the flesh. It's not about where you descend from. It's because they're only of the flesh. And so he gives Jake, Esau and Jacob is another example that he gives and showing that, uh, that God chose Jacob. God loved Jacob. You know, Esau, uh, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. So even Esau, was not included, uh, you know, in that line, even though Esau was of Abraham, Esau, Esau was of Isaac, but the children of promise. And so I think he's just showing an example. This is how it's always been. And God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. God has chosen to have mercy on those who are of faith. Those who are of the flesh, they are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. And so the word of God has taken effect. It has been effective because those who are of faith, those who are of promise, they will receive all the things that God's promised, but those who are of the flesh will be destroyed. Can y'all hear me now, Donnie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you sound okay. good, Kirby. Okay, I got sidetracked. Pa apologize, Pastor McMurtry, for uh, causing distraction. Um you said something about Ishmael being being a allegory. It's an allegory. So he cast out the bond woman. That's he separate. Paul Paul separated from his mother's womb. Okay, that's that is Israel. Okay, that is that's the bond woman to cast out. I get all that. But Ishmael, let's say let's go with that. Okay, that allegory. Ishmael is the Jew. Did Ishmael receive an inheritance, a promised inheritance? Mm -hmm. Yes. You say yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. There you go. Then if we're going to stick with that allegory, guess what? Israel will get their inheritance. We got one from Abraham. Yeah. Thank you. 
what he didn't get the inheritance of the firstborn. You know, he was he said he was cast out, but you know, Abraham, you know, so did Esau too. I know, even though I know says, Jacob I loved Esau, if I hated Esau, got an inheritance, it just of wasn't as good as Jacob's. And of course, the he, he, he's going to represent Edom, Edom now, in, in now, history. So Ishmael himself, I think Ishmael himself probably was saved. But okay. now, did the people of Ishmael do they have an? Did they get an inheritance? Do they still have one? Edom, well, of course not. E Edom also received an inheritance, but they're the people on whom the Lord hath indignation forever. So again, the individual, you know, Ishmael and Edom got some things, but the nations didn't. When 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 God said that uh, Jacob uh, has been redeemed. Jacob has been redeemed. Those are that's that's salvation semantics. Um, you don't believe they have eternal security. You do not believe not not a fit not an individual Jew. The nation, the nation has yeah, the, eternal the, security. Yeah, the physical nation. Right, right. I mean, they certainly didn't have any eternal security when they got destroyed. Well, sir, of course, that's the chastening hand of God. That's that's the flesh. You would argue. Uh, uh, someone uh, an advocate against eternal security of the believer you would use the same arguments that i'm defending the state of israel with to defend a believer my behavior cannot undo my salvation israel when god when he said i have not beheld iniquity in jacob friend was god blind when he said that because of Look at all the murmuring and the complaining and the, the, the gainsaying of Korah and all of these things, numbers and Kadesh Barnea, all of the forbearance to go into the promised land and all of the mutiny and things. God saw that, yet he's saying, I haven't seen them do anything wrong all day long. He's looking at them through a different covenant. He's looking beyond that, just like he looks at us and our, our, our salvation is uh it's in the spirit. Now in the flesh, that's an in-house matter. And it's none of Balak's business, which, you know, he's like the accuser, like Satan, picture of Satan there. So I, I'm surprised that you can't see that. Um, under, yeah, I, you said something that was right when he said, I have not beheld iniquity in Jacob is because he's referring to another covenant. You know, he's referring to, you know, the things of promise. And so, again, when I say Israel does not have eternal security, I'm saying the law, there is no eternal security in the law. Eternal security only comes from faith. And Israel as a nation did not get that. In, in the book of Acts, what we see in those first chapters in, in the book of Acts is we see the apostles preaching hard, trying to get Israel as a nation to repent of the killing of Jesus. And while many people did get saved, the nation... Uh, never did repent. And in, throughout the book of Acts, while you know we have several chapters where we see uh, the work being done with the Gentiles and the way the Jews are persecuting, ultimately the book of Acts is about the, the apostles' attempt to get Israel to repent, and ultimately it's, it's failure. And we see Paul, even though he was warned by the Holy Ghost not to go to Jerusalem, he still went to Jerusalem. Then we have several chapters of him being on trial, traveling, shipwreck, all that stuff. But the book of Acts concludes with him uh, when after they uh, are being persecuted, they had some Jews that believed and some that believed not. 
And it says in Acts 28, 25, when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. This is something they figured out. After all these things they went through, after all this persecution, after Paul's another attempt to go get Israel saved, one thing the writer Luke here says, this is something we understood. This is while Paul's in Rome. It turns out this is exactly what Isaiah prophesied unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reason among themselves. That's how the book of Acts ends. That's how Bible history ends with the disciples doing everything they can to try to get Israel saved. In Romans, the book of Romans was written before Paul went to Jerusalem. and It was his desire for them to be saved. And he knew they still could be saved as a nation if they would not abide still in unbelief. But you know what? Paul figured out that while God could save them and he would save them if they would call on him, guess what? They didn't call on him. They rejected him. Turns out this is exactly what Isaiah prophesied. And here in the book of Acts, it ends with them realizing the fate of Israel. And you know what? That which the prophets spoke about came upon them. They were destroyed. And uh, you know, and so they did not have eternal security as a nation. Now, they would have if they would have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But they didn't. But here's the thing. The word of God has not taken none effect. Because there's a lot of prophecies you could refer to. Because guess what? A day is coming where there's going to be a resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be there in that kingdom. And we're going to sit with them. You know, the children of the kingdom, they're going to be thrust into, into outer darkness. But the people that God made these promises to, who believe them, who are of faith, they will experience these things. And so the promises that you are, that we're both looking for to be fulfilled, I believe they're going to be fulfilled with the people of faith. I believe they're going to be fulfilled with the physical people who are of faith, but who are in the graves right now. And you could even say a physical people still today, if they'll abide, not still in unbelief, if they'll get saved. But as far as a national revival that is sure to come for Israel, uh, what Paul prophesied. I don't believe that. I do yeah. not advocate a national revival for you. Okay. It's a remnant concept, sir. Okay. Okay. Well, again, I, yeah. I want to ask you something when you give a second. Just like, well, okay. I want to ask you a question. I want to, I want to be able every time that I advocate something, okay, uh, that has scriptural merit, it looks like you or in you're circling the wagons a little bit. Okay. I want to see if you're moving the goalposts in the middle of the game here. Okay. Because you, you acts 28 closes out saying, um, you know, that, that dull of hearing and blind and things like that. Blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now, as soon as I say that to you, what, what part of in part do you not believe when, because blindness in part, that is for a partial period of time that their eyes will be, they, they will behold the one whom they've pierced and, and, you know, uh, 
uh, I think that's uh, Zechariah, maybe chapter 12. Um, those are prophecies, man. I'm reading that it's so plain and so clear that it, I don't know how you miss that. Okay. Because here's what you have said in our past, in our past, again, we're talking about, please be careful not to move the goalposts and miss mm. the game because you have said that wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Okay. Well, if wrath has come up unto the uttermost, wouldn't blindness be up on them to the uttermost? But see, blindness in part. And when you say wrath to the uttermost, I don't believe that you have the point that you think that you do. That's spatial. Look how uttermost is used throughout the Bible, uh, being people being saved to the uttermost. Just look at look how it's used. It's it's not the full extent. I mean, you don't give God much credit if you think that's the full extent of his wrath has been upon them. You, I bet he could dish out a whole lot more. That's not the uttermost of his capability of to, dispensing wrath it's to the uttermost of all the last israelite of the nation of israel that's the wrath that's upon them to the uttermost because i promise you you god puts wrath upon his own people that is through the uh again we can go as slow as you want to and land on that concept and i will show you that god put displays wrath upon his people israel yet they are still the objects of his uh uh, his his the Abrahamic covenant. You've talked about faith. It's not the faith of individual. It's the faith of Abraham. He's honoring Abraham, and he made a covenant with Abraham while he was asleep. See, it doesn't have anything to do with Abraham's belief or unbelief and behavior. That's something that you're not acknowledging. So, uh, what about that blindness in part? Yeah. I I yeah so. Well, first off, uttermost just means to the end or completely. It's just like we're saved to the uttermost. He says that in the context of the salvation, it's one that's going to last forever. And so I think uttermost is used the same way. They are always going to be under God's wrath to the very end. Blindness in part. So you're using I, it time. You're using it as an expanse of time. Not I'm using in, uttermost. Yeah. Yes. You're using uttermost and you're equating that to time not space, not spatial, not the, and do you have mm -hmm. scriptural precedent for that? Well, I think, I think the context shows that's what it is. Well, for example, you know, when, when Paul said we're saved to the uttermost, yeah. he said, he said, or whoever wrote Hebrews says that he's saying that in the context of that, you know, our one high priest is able to save us forever with one sacrifice. Unlike the, uh, yearly sacrifice that the high priest used to have to do. So the whole context of that is that, you know, the one sacrifice of Christ was good once and for all. And because he's a good high priest, he's able to save us to the uttermost and to the end is what that means. And I think Paul the end. is not, saying the not same fullness thing. fullness of salvation. You say to the end of time, of, of whatever that is, mm -hmm. to the culmination of our, I guess, our resurrected yeah, it just means body. It's, it's completely, um, just fully. And so yeah, I see fullness of salvation being different than, than a time yeah. metric. I see uh, it's yeah. Uh, complete uh, first Corinthians is it second Corinthians chapter one, verse 10 talks about how we've been delivered. We're being delivered and shall be delivered. Right. Mm -hmm. You've got, you've got um, uh, saved from the penalty of sin. I was saved mm -hmm. in the penalty of sin, but daily I'm being saved from the vexation of this world. And, you know, I gate mm -hmm. your gate kind of like lot. Well, I'm being saved from the power of sin. One day I will be saved from the presence of sin. Now, that's that is us individually. I assert 
that that is the same case, the exact same case for Israel as a nation. But continue on, please. Yeah, so I guess the blindness in part happening to Israel, that can mean a couple different things. One, it just could mean they're not completely blind, uh, meaning because they're still able to get saved. Paul establishes that in Romans 11. Uh, also, too, it could mean, well, not all of them are blind because Paul was able to see. Tommy, can I say one thing, please? Go ahead. Uh, he didn't say blindness in part has happened to the Israelites. To Israel. He says blindness in part has happened to Israel. The same Israel is in Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Mm -hmm. It is a corporate blindness. Okay. okay. So go ahead. But then, yeah, so again, either either way you spin it, you know, even the, the nation can still be saved. But the blindness in, uh, in part, again, do you think that means um, that they are only partially blinded, therefore they could still be saved, or that only part of Israel is blind while some of them believe and are able to see? What, what would you say? That well, the, na the nation, when you speak of the – again, when – when you speak of the nation of Israel, think of all the times when he's mentioning, focusing mm -hmm. on the capital city, Jerusalem. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the leadership of Israel. Okay. That's what that, that is who is going to have to repent and they will repent and be restored as prophecy shows kind of like DC is the detriment of our nation. We speak of, man, if something doesn't change, if, if, if DC mm -hmm. would change, our nation would change. Okay, that's what he's speaking of. So I see that Israel is blind as a headless bat right now. In part, in part of time, there's there's an expanse of time where they are just blind, and that is the that is the meta narrative of the entire Bible. You see it in every aspect of Scripture that that valley of blindness and and of uh, forbearance, but then there's repentance and restoration. You, you even see it with Jacob. Think about Jacob. Them, look what them bad Jews did to Jacob. I think, did not Stephen preach about Jacob and his brothers betraying him? Mm -hmm. Remember that? They betrayed him. They That's the same thing they did to Jesus Christ. The greatest archetype in your Bible of Jesus Christ is Jacob. And I got a question for you. They did him bad, did they not? And then they had some tribulation, some trouble, and they, they finally saw him for who he was and did not recognize him until he revealed himself. Tommy, did they repent and get restored to him? They did. Absolutely. And if that's that, that's what, uh, that's what Stephen was saying about that's, that's what the Jews are going to do. That the exact same dynamic that you see with Jacob and his brethren is the same uh, uh, dynamic that's going to play out in history in the future. Well, you and I talked about this in one of our other discussions, but the thing is, the fulfillment of that's already taken place because the first rejection of Christ was at Mount Sinai. And he spells I've heard that. you say that before, and I'm not. Uh, I didn't say it. Steve, Stephen said it. Okay. Stephen. When you say that was that was Stephen the first rejection that. of Christ. That's the first the first, the first rejection, rejection of Christ rejection is not Calvary. They no. said we will not have this man reign over that us. Was the, that was the Cal second. Okay. That was the second. Show me what you're talking about. And I'm not saying that you, I'm just uh, when you say Mount, when you speak of Mount Sinai, are you talking? I know what you're talking about. Tommy. Yeah. Moses, does Moses not mention that in Exodus? I'm sorry, in Hebrews chapter 12, where they said 
will not hear from this. They did not want to hear from God, right? Mm -hmm. You know yep. why? It's not because they rejected him as their God. They were they were frightened. They were trembling in fear. They mm -hmm. just did. They wanted an intercessor. They wanted a mediator. They wanted to hear from a man. They want some skin on that thing. That was out of fear, not rejection, sir. Well, so here's here's where that comes from. Um, in so just like Israel, where are we at? Where are we at? Uh, in Acts seven, okay. In Acts chapter seven, uh, we'll start reading in verse thirty-five. So remember, Israel actually rejected Moses first when he killed the Egyptian. He tried to be delivered that way. Got it. But then, but then he made a comeback, right? Yep. And so it says in Acts seven thirty-five, this Moses whom they refused, saying. Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and deliver by the hand of an angel, which appeared unto him in a bush. And so Jesus is going to be like Moses, where they they rejected him before, but he's going to come back again as a deliverer. And it says, this is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles given unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again unto Egypt, saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we wot not as become with him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice in the idol, rejoiced in the work of their own hands, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. It is written in the uh, book of the prophets, O ye house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed by the face of 40 years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan, figures which he made to worship them. I will carry you away beyond, beyond Babylon. And so right there we see that they did. That was that he that was with the church in the wilderness. I mean, would you agree that was referring to Jesus and it was saying our fathers refused him. Um, and so you talk, understand you're talking Jesus, about you're talking about them refusing Moses. Won't they didn't want they wanted to make a captain to lead them back to Egypt? Well, right, right. right. yes, okay. Yeah. That was a rejection of Christ. Do you realize what a hard sale this is that you're trying to make? Because when you I talk about Stephen, sir, when you look at when if if I had a group of just uh, it, reasonable objective thinkers just just third-party observers are you going to convince that 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 have a general knowledge of scripture are you going to make that the first rejection of jesus christ and not we're using moses as a picture of the deliverer of the people of god of israel where he came into his own john 1 11 in his own received him not they said who made thee a prince and a judge over they said we have no king but caesar that the continuity between moses and that egyptian and the, when he smote that egyptian and identified himself with his jewish brethren he left royalty to come and condescend himself to be among his people just like jesus christ left heaven to come down and to, to come into his own. And they rejected him saying, we, who made thee a prince and a judge over us to Moses? Uh, we will not have this man to reign over us. We have no king but Caesar. Now Moses, he, he leaves just like Jesus Christ did. He said, look, I'm going to the Gentiles, the church. I got a new vehicle. Okay. If you want to know when they lost the kingdom, they lost it in Matthew. I think they lost it in Matthew 11 when he, uh, presented that, but uh, we you'd have to look at that. I know I'm just 
talking, but mm -hmm. he goes to Midian and gets a Gentile bride. If you can't see the continuity with, with the church being married to like Moses. And then guess what? When he comes back, he comes back on an ass, on a beast of burden, just like Christ will come back on a horse, rod of God in his hand. Listen, man, he comes back and this time they're, they're, they're in tribulation. The plagues of Egypt are right there. And that's so fractal and patternistic prophecy is pattern. You see every one of those plagues and that stuff, and that is preparing them to now they'll give ear to their deliverer. And guess what? They did receive him. He came back with his Gentile bride, man. And that's Revelation chapter. Uh, and see, a mixed multitude went out. There's two groups. That's a mixed multitude. That's why you have two armies uh, coming back in Revelation. Uh, there's so much. When I say it's a hard sell, sir, there's so many things that if we landed on any of them and started checking them off and getting closure, because we are hopping all over the pond. Yeah. I feel like we are. And uh, it's just Actually, hard in a conversation. Kirby, like this. If I could jump in, Tommy, yes. let's hand it to you for the last word in terms of the discussion. Then we'll jump into audience questions. If there is anything else that you want to add based on what Tommy says, Kirby, we do have five minute closing statements after the audience question. So maybe save it for then. And that way we can move along. So Tommy, go ahead and have the final word. for this Yeah. Session. So we could, if we, I don't want to get real bogged down, but let me just read this brief summary of an event. I think it's, I forgot what chapter it is in Exodus. Um, when God come down in the Mount, there's a lot of significance to that, but Moses here is referring to that time in Deuteronomy 18. This is 40 years later. And he says, the Lord, thy God will raise up unto thee. This is what Stephen was quoting a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken, according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire anymore that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will, and I wish I had time to go into why he said that, because it's very clear if you go back to Exodus, but he said, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto me, and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto him all that I shall command him. It's talking about Jesus. And here's a promise that I, God is not going to break that he made to Israel. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Tommy, thank you for the final I'm words. Sorry. I'm sorry, guys. I was trying to plug that in, man. I've, that's taking okay. care of this, That's all okay. this i'm kind of new to this stuff um uh, i was listening to you though brother tommy and uh so what do we do now <laughs> no no worries firstly great job to the both of you uh impressive endurance uh you know that was a very uh comprehensive discussion portion i just want to restart the timer here real quick lots of points uh discussed I love listening to these uh, topics. I feel like I can listen to them all day and I appreciate the, the knowledge, but also the passion from the both of you. Uh, very knowledgeable on this topic for sure. To the audience, if you check the description box of this video, I have a playlist where I've put together all of our uh, Israel and eschatology and dispensationalism related debates just in, into one uh, playlist for people to check out. So we've had a lot of great discussions uh, on this topic and they're always comprehensive. So with that, we're going to jump into uh, questions now. I've got a couple of my own uh, just based on things that I've heard in past debates on this topic. 
and also lots of questions from the audience. Kirby, since this is your first time here, how I like to structure this section is, let's say it's a question for both. You know, we'll, we'll let you each respond, let's say between one and two minutes. If it's uh, an important question, uh, a controversial one, then we can give you maybe one, one final response each, and then we would move on. If it's a question for someone specific, we'll just make sure they get the last word on it. So let's, okay, let's start here. There's a lot of good questions here, and I guess we'll just start with this one as it's a common one. And it's a question directed at you, uh, Pastor Kirby. So praise the I am. Question is, why did Paul go out of his way to highlight a true Jew is a spiritual convert rather than ethnically in Romans 2 verses 28 to 29. Kirby, go ahead. Okay, well, let me find that passage of scripture and uh, familiar with it. Yeah, and now he's, he's talking to Jews and the subject of circumcision is here. Um, this is what's happening here, guys. This is, this is a comparative statement in matters of privileged identity. It is not a doctrinal statement. Uh, it's a figurative statement. And uh, it's there's a different. You got to see the technical aspect of scripture and the practical aspect of scripture. I'll give you an example. When when Jesus says in John eight forty four, "You are of your father the devil," okay, and the lust of your father you do. Or better yet, what about when he said he is the father of all lies? Is that a technical? doctrinal statement or is that a practical statement did the devil one day meet a nice girl and decide to have some offspring and it produced lies or is that he is the orchestrator of lies but he uses um uh biological semantics there see uh another place um it, well how about galatians 4 i think i got a place here let me look at galatians 4 real quick um galatians chapter 4 i think it's verse 19 where he uh yeah, look at look at what Paul says here. Galatians 4:19. He says, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's not a soteriological grid that we can map that to. And do we call ourselves if could they say that Paul is my father? No. But figuratively, figuratively they could. He did the work of a midwife, bringing them through the birthing process. But God is their father. See. Tech, soteriologically, God is our father. But if a person led us to the Lord practically, he is our uh, father. That's that's not doctrinal. That's a uh, that's just matters of privileged identity. Uh, that's that's how I would answer that. Appreciate it, Kirby. Tommy, over to you. Yeah, so in Romans 1, Paul has showed just how bad the Greeks are and how they're under sin. In chapter 2, He's making a case that the Jews are also in sin as well, because if you are going to be saved by the law, you're required to keep the entire law. And so there is no uh, special benefit to being a Jew because of the fact that, um, you know, Jews don't keep all the law. Because, again, you know, earlier, Pastor Tab mentioned how the Orthodox Jews, they've all done the circumcision. Well, that, that's great, but the thing is, law was added because of transgression, and guess what? You got to keep all of the law, and so the truth is, what he's just showing here is when he's saying he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, 
Hey, you can't make any claim to be the people of God based on an outward circumcision. You're required to keep all the law. And that comes from somebody who does it on the inside. Uh, and it's not about the letter of the law. And so I think, um, you know, it, it just shows the concept of a spiritual Jew. And so, again, that's why we make a, a claim for it. It's not about our performance of the law. Okay? And that's why we have eternal security, because it's not about the law. That's why the Jews didn't. They, they never had the real salvation by the law. But those of faith did. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, Kirby, since it's a question for you, why don't you get uh, the, the final minute to respond if you'd like? Yeah, I would be careful to map that to uh, salvation, though. You're not. Okay. Uh, Colossians, if you want to map spiritual circumcision, go to Colossians chapter 2. I think it may be verse 12. But that's the circumcision made without hands. That is, that is the act that is synonymous with being baptized into the body of Christ, being circumcised, having your soul cut loose from your flesh and things like that. OK, this is just a practical statement It's because circumcised in heart has to do with contrition. It has to do with your your inner being. Uh, but it's not I'm just saying it's not a doctrinal soteriological statement. And that's about all I got. on that. OK, thank you. Uh, Kirby. Okay, so the, the next question is more of a, an exegetical question, I guess. What is the best interpretation or meaning of, in this case, Matthew 21, uh, 43? And so the verse is specifically, therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Um, I guess Tur uh, Kirby started with the previous one. Therefore, uh, Tommy, if you'd like, you can start with this one. Yeah, so Jesus said this at his, at his coming, his triumphal entry. Obviously, the coming of Christ, you could say it started in the manger, but ultimately it all led up to this very prophesied event, and many of the uh, many of the prophets referenced it. If you take the time to go back and refer to all the prophecies that are mentioned around this event, it will be very enlightening. But when Jesus came at his coming in the day of visitation, in that day of reckoning, he was looking for some things. Go study what that is. If you go and read the prophets, it will tell you. You know what he was looking? He was looking for a people of all nations. All he found were Jews. He was looking for a people who are of faith. He was looking for a holy people. He didn't find any of those things. He found a sinful people. They had failed to be a light to the world. They were like Eli, and they let the lamp of God go out. And just like God replaced Eli and brought in another priesthood later during the time of Solomon to replace him, Jesus Christ, because of Israel's failure, because they did not use the talents that he gave them because they buried it, Jesus took that talent and he gave it to someone else. And he gave it to a spiritual people. He gave it to a people from all nations. And Israel, uh, Jerusalem specifically, they no longer have the things of God. It's the church's of God. We have we have the authority to uh to go out and preach the gospel and to baptize. We're the ones who are the ministers of God and the light to the world. It's no longer in Jerusalem where people go. No, now God has sent us to go into all the world. And so when he's told that the kingdom's taken from you, given another nation, it's referring to just the ministry, the things of God. They were taken from Israel and uh and we now have them. Thank you, uh, Pastor Tommy. 
Pastor Kirby, the floor is yours. A lot of what Pastor McMurtry said, I agree with, with the caveat there, though. Uh, well, that nation, uh, it seems to be the church. Like, uh, I think uh, Romans 10 says it like this, uh, quote Moses, um, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation will I anger you. What's the purpose Again, I say this taking away of Matthew 21, what's the purpose of it, of making someone jealous if there's no hope for them, if they're annihilated? Uh, you do that because there's a future for them, okay? Uh, and uh, this thing about the kingdom of God, um, that's you a good question to ask yourself when you approach that, so make an observation. When did Israel ever have the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God was at hand, okay? And it's offered to them, the kingdom of God. Um, and again, I do, I do make a distinction. Y'all can laugh at me if you want to, but I make a distinction between the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. And I bet I know, of. uh, I bet if we ever land on that, we might be able to disambiguate that a little bit and you might, uh, uh, might learn something, but, but right here, right here, um, you got to ask yourself why provoke, what's the jealousy about, you see? When did they ever have? I want you to tell me when they ever had the kingdom of God. Be my guest. When did they have it? Because except the man be born again, he'll not see the kingdom of God. You see, and I didn't mean to take over, Donnie. I'm sorry. I'm asking questions. That's not my place. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that, that's completely fine. We'll hand it back to Tommy for this one, and we'll give you uh, the final word on this question. Therefore, uh, if you'd like to respond to Kirby's question, go ahead. Yeah, well, the point of uh, making him jealous is so they'll get in on it. You know, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't referring to some future thing that's going to happen. No, he he right then, he was wanting to provoke his brethren, you know, to emulation. You know, he and so uh, that's the point. God was doing all these things with these Gentiles, hoping the Jews would see it and say, you know what, let's get on on board with that. And so the king, when did they have the kingdom? Well, they obviously had it right then because Jesus said it's going to be taken from you. You can't take something from somebody that they didn't have, uh, something that they didn't have. But again, um, the reason that you mentioned flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, that's why the kingdom had to be taken from them. You know why? Because they had nothing to show for it. When Christ, at Christ's coming, on that Palm Sunday, they weren't they weren't ready. They didn't have any oil in their lamp, and so when the husbandmen came, they weren't they weren't prepared. And so what did he do? He lent out his vineyard to other husbandmen. Now, when he comes the second time, this time we're going to be ready. You know why? Because we have oil in our lamps. Because we have the Holy Spirit inside inside of us. We have that dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we do have people from all nations that are saved and there's churches all over. There are people who have, uh, who, who love the Lord that have all the things that Jesus was looking for. I just preached a sermon on this recently that he was looking for at his coming and he didn't find, we can prove from the scriptures that he will find those things when he comes the second time. All right, brother. Um, so you are, um, I I admonish you to be more careful with your statements. You're, you're equating yourself with the virgins, the 10 virgins that didn't, five had oil, and you believe that is that is you. That's a that's a topic that I don't think you're prepared to deal with, sir. Oh, bring it. <laughs> bring it. Okay. 
Um, actually, that, actually, yeah, that topic. That, I'll save that for Saturday. Saturday. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we're 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 doing that on Saturday. Make sure you watch. Okay. What are we doing? Uh, well, me and an, another guy. I'm doing a uh, yes, discussion on this program about that very parable. Okay. Tommy, you're busy this week. Yeah, we've got another uh, comprehensive program. I might as well give it a shout out, give it a plug right now. I since actually, it was uh, so Matthew 25 parables this Saturday. I'm pumped. Wow. Okay. I, I look forward to seeing that. And that young man that, that you saw, I've seen him. I think he was with Pat. Did he not? Uh, did he uh, dialogue with Matt first by chance? Yes. On replacement you know, theology, uh, they did the debate. I was impressed with the young man. Uh, he. Uh, once he got going, he he had some substance. Uh, that ought to be a good one, Tommy. Yes, that'll be one it. to remember. That's one of our main events. Yeah. So looking forward yeah. to that. Uh, Tommy and Charles both know their stuff, so that's going to be good. And this has been a great uh, all all those well. parables are one of the most misunderstood parables that there are, and and yeah, yeah I, I know buddy. what to do with those parables. Uh huh. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> All right, brothers. Great job tonight. This has been awesome. Okay, so next question. Question for both. And so we'll we'll give you each a, a couple responses. And this is a common one I've seen, especially as it pertains to the Israel debate. And so the question is, does Matthew 23, verse 39, prove a future mass conversion of unbelieving Jews? And the verse is up on the screen here, and it says, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Kirby, why don't we start with you for this one? Yeah, as far as future mass conversion, I don't know if I use terms like that as far as because it, the thought of a great sweeping revival and things like that, uh, whatever we consider, I'm seeing a remnant being saved. Uh, but um, when he said that, uh, Matthew 23, He's saying that to the leadership of Israel. That's the that's the key. We we must understand that because they said, "Blessed is he that cometh." Bless Hosanna in the highest, and blessed him in uh, Mark chapter eleven when he came the triumphal entry and things like that. But that wasn't the leadership of Israel. Consider what I'm saying, okay? I'm going to be in Deuteronomy. Do I got like a couple of minutes, Donnie, or a minute? Uh, yes, for this one we'll do two minutes each. Okay, um, so. Uh, Matthew, uh, in Matthew chapter 27, Pilate washed his hands and said, I'm free, clean from innocent blood. We track it on that. And that innocent blood was the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, Deuteronomy 21. I want you to consider what I'm saying here. This is, this has everything to do with the leadership of Israel. That is, that is the embodiment of the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 21. And, uh, notice this, uh, how much import this has prophetically. Um, uh, verse one, if uh, one be found slain in the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him as is the, that is slain. Just think of Acts chapter seven, and that's the leadership of Israel there too. See, that's what's going on. And it says, and it shall be, that the city which is next to the slain man, even the elders of that city shall take an heifer, which hath not been wrought, uh, wrought with, which hath not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring uh, down the heifer. Look at the times you're seeing leadership, elders and, and judges of the city, which neither 
uh, ear, uh, ear nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck and there uh, in the valley. And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto them and to bless in the name of, I'm going somewhere with this, the name of the Lord, and by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 27, wash their hands over the heifer that is behead in the valley, and they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Now, when they look upon him whom they have pierced, when in the future, in the repentance of Israel, the leadership's going to say that. And guess what? That generation, their eyes have not seen it. And you know what? The Jews' hands did not do that. The Romans' hands did that. Okay? That's, that, is the, that is what's going to happen. That's prophetical. Of course, it has uh, near reaching. You're looking at the glass right here in the near the actual fulfillment. But looking through the glass, you see the bigger picture. And it says in verse verse eight, this is what they'll say. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people, Israel, whom thou hast redeemed. There's their they've been redeemed, buddy. They're not go, they've got eternal security, just like a New Testament believer does and lay not innocent blood. Innocent blood upon thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven given them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. That's what's going to happen, the restoration of Israel right there. Okay, so that has to do with the innocent blood of Jesus Christ. I know that's a lot there. So the best way I can answer that question is along those lines. Thank you, Kirby. I appreciate it. And it's understandable. It's a big question. So, uh, Tommy, over to you. The floor is yours. Yeah, so if those physical people have eternal security, there sure is a bunch of them that's going to go to hell. The nation have already, have already nation. been in hell. But, again, the nation. So, Matthew 23, 39. For, you would never read this passage and think this is a prophetic thing that's going to happen 2000 plus years in the future from reading this passage, you, you never would. It says, uh, first off, Jesus is pronouncing whoa, whoa, whoa on the Pharisees. He goes on, Verily I say unto you, verse 36, all these things shall come upon this generation. So, talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that came, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that kills the prophets, stonish them which are sent unto thee. How often I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chicken under her wings, and ye would not behold your house is left unto you desolate. 40 years later, happened. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, why do you say that? Why, are, why is all of a sudden that's a pro prophetic about a future event? Here's what you got. Here's what's actually happening. Genesis, or not Genesis, Matthew 21 is still a part of the story. This is on the day of his coming, on the day of his triumphal entry. Remember what they were saying in Matthew 21? And the multitudes that went before that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This uh, this is prophetic of Psalms 118. Verse 24, we'll start saying, or let's start verse 22. The stone which the builders refuse has become the head of the corner. Jesus quoted that at his triumphal entry. Uh, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It, it, he quoted that. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Don't have time to go into it, but the day of salvation has already come. Paul said that. Save now, I beseech thee. O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. What were they crying? Hosanna. What does that mean? It means, O oh, save or save us. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have 
blessed you out of the house of the Lord. He came into the house of the Lord. The people, the common people are crying, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What did the Pharisees do? What did the leadership do? They rebuked Jesus and said, you tell them to stop. And what? Did, and Jesus said, if they stop, the stones are going to cry out. Jesus goes on, gives parables about them losing the kingdom. He goes on promoting, pronouncing all these woes on the, on the Pharisees, on the Jews. And so when he says, you're not going to see me henceforth till you say, blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. He's basically telling them, I'm not going to show myself to you again until you say what those people are saying. Now, after the crucifixion, did Jesus ever appear to the Pharisees again? No, he did not. Right. But he did appear to over 500 brethren at one time. So that's all that's saying. So Jesus never did. He, he kept his promise. He didn't appear before him. You know why? Because they never said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And you know what? The judgment that he pronounced on them, it came on that generation. So there is nothing in that passage that says this has to happen where they say that. No, they didn't. And the destruction came. All right. Thank you, Tommy. Uh, very good answers from the both of you. Comprehensive. Since it is such a major topic and Kirby, I'm sure there's a couple things you'd like to respond to. Let's do a final minute each and then we'll move into uh, the next question. So Kirby, um, go ahead. If you'd like to respond, you got a minute. Sure. There's a lot there, but um, it, if, if we had the time to sit down and write a, a, a synopsis to, to present of you you advocating that there's no future until for I say you shall not do that until you say I'm saying in the future the leadership of Israel will say that and if you made your case and I made my case we had the time I would win okay thank you um Kirby Tommy was there any last words you'd like to say yeah if we got in a fight I'd body slam you and break your nose and <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this, I don't think you'd win in that discussion. No, that's uh, that's not what that's talking about. It, you know. Why are you threatening me with violence, man? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. It's easy to do when we're probably not going to get in a fight. And so, he's saying it would be an exegetical body slam or right, a yes, hermeneutical yeah. headlock, <laughs> bringing the heat. Well, hey, about I'm, this, I'm, doing, I'm doing what Bob Hope did. I was on. Uh, it was an old Bob Hope movie where him and another guy basically got in a discussion about what they would do to each other in a fight. And it was just, it was real bloody and back and forth, but uh, no uh, swings were actually thrown. Well, it is important though. I know it's very, that's what I mean by a scalable. Uh, sometimes it's just, we can only go so far with dialogue like this, but it is important to, to, to pick a, pick a place and land and just, just, uh, epistemically connect those dots. It's so important and it's, it is kind of frustrating when we're not able to do that. And I, I know it's difficult, but um, uh, anyway, I think our minutes up anyway, Donnie. Very good, uh, gentlemen. I feel like in the future we could almost like pick one or two verses, maybe Romans, Romans nine to 11 and just have a whole debate on just that. Sure. Yeah. So, well, may so maybe what we should just do from here on out when it comes to the questions is just, let people hear what we have to say because because we could argue back and forth about all of them and, and go real long but just uh you know let us both kind of have our say and then go from there i know that's not easy but i don't know how many <laughs> questions you have left 
yeah, but we can do that. And we've got so many questions. We could do this till same time tomorrow. So I basically got a timer on. Once the timer goes off, then we'll we'll wrap it up. So let's do that. We'll for, for the questions, we'll do uh, one response each, and and then move on uh, nicely from there. So uh, Tommy, one of your biggest fans here, SoCal Preston, question for T. In Galatians three sixteen, he says discussing two groups of people or one. Okay, that, that, that's his question. Is this discussing two groups of people or one? If not, why not? The syntax of the King James Bible teaches two groups. Uh, all Paul's doing right here is clarifying what was stated in Genesis 12 and just saying he the promise isn't two seeds as a many, it's one. I don't, I don't, I don't, maybe I'm not understanding the question. This is he's just showing that the promise was to Christ, not seeds as of many, not like descendants, like Schofield says. Now, Genesis 3 does talk about two groups. It's talking about a physical and a spiritual. I don't know if that's what he's asking, but uh, I might be misunderstanding the question. Okay, appreciate it, Tommy. Kirby, any any thoughts from you on it? Yeah, I noticed something here. Uh, uh, Tommy put the cross-reference back in uh, to Genesis chapter 12. That's the incorrect cross-reference. It's going to be found in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 18, when you're dealing with Gentiles, you're dealing with nations. Promise says, plural. Here's, here's where me and you get in, Tommy. It's in chapter 3, verse 9. If you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's us. That's our day. We're, we get the promise from the seed, which is Jesus Christ. But the promise says there's more promises. And Jesus Christ claims all of those promises. And one of them has to do with land, the land grant to Abraham. So thank you, Kirby. Tommy question was for you. You can have a quick final word if you'd like. So Jesus gets all the promises. I agree. And I am a joint heir with Christ. So I get it too. So, uh, you know, I, I bring that question up all the time that people don't want to answer, but it's just like, you know, when a Jew gets saved, does he lose any special inheritance? If he doesn't, what does a saved Jew get that I don't get as a joint heir with Christ? Jesus Christ inherited all inherited all things, according to Hebrews. Okay, gentlemen, appreciate it. Next question comes in from Nick. Question for Tom. Acts 21, verse uh, 28 to 29. Paul brings four Greeks to the temple to be purified from a Nazarite vow a command only given to Israel in number six. Do you think this shows he considers them Israel by being in Christ? Paul, I believe this was an example of Paul um, to the Jew. I became as a Jew. That's what I believe he's doing right there. Because if you study this again, Paul was warned by the Holy Ghost uh, and people were prophesying to him, telling him not to go. He decided that he wanted to go. And I think he did all these things to not offend the Jews because he wanted a chance to preach to the Jews. And he got that chance and it didn't work. It didn't work out good. He ended up going to prison. God ended up using it as a result. But I think that's just an example of to the Jews. I became as a Jew to them that are under the laws, under the law. Um, I, I believe that's what's going on right there, because if, and if you study that next too. He's with the church. The church was still heavily involved 
in the things of the law. And uh, I, 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 I could go into some things there. I do believe it was not fully manifested yet that that which decayeth and waxeth old was ready to vanish away. I don't believe those things had fully gone away yet, um, as it talks about in Hebrews. But I do believe it was during the around this time when they figured it out. If you look at the timeline of when the different epistles were written, there are some really strong statements showing those things were completed, but those were all written after this event. And so, um, but but either way, I think it's just him trying not to reach the Jews. Okay, appreciate it, uh, Pastor Tommy. Pastor Kirby, any thoughts? No, sir. I, I'm i not. Maybe I just don't know enough. I, I understand what the Nazarite vow. I know Paul shaved his head. I don't think I understand the question or the implication of the question. I don't see... I'm, I'm not connecting a Nazarite vow with Acts 21 with him. I, I know the, the narrative. I don't think I can comment on that right now. Uh, apologize to the questionnaire. I just don't understand the yeah. question. Not It's not 100% that he was taking the Nazarite vow right there. It's assumed that he was taking the Nazarite vow by people because of the shaving of the head. And if you go back in the law, that's the only thing we're, that really talks about doing anything like that. But it could have been... It could have been something else, you know. They had a lot of extra traditions and things they had come up with, but yeah, it's not explicitly stated that's what it was. Okay, appreciate it, gentlemen. Next question is for you specifically, Kirby. Comes in from Cliff Matthews. Cliff, thanks for the question. So the question is Will the bride of Christ take up seats of dominion in heavenly places during the millennium? Will our return to earth be after the great bride in brackets? He puts the city descends in Revelation 21. Yeah, that's a loaded question. Uh, and I, I don't know that I can comment with any great authority on that. I know the places in the Bible that teach about us reign. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. Uh, I, I like the, the in Luke's parable of the pounds, which I do believe is as Gentile measurement for a reason. Uh, there's some people are gaining 10 cities and five and things like that. Uh, so I do see something there. And as far as our return to earth, uh, as far as, I don't know that we're going to return to earth. I don't know. I, I'm not saying we're not. I'm, I'm just telling you, man, that's a lot of things that I would just, it would just be conjecture on my part. That city, that four square city, you know, and I'm, I, we're dealing with a lot of things that, if you're going to look at that city, you're going to have to understand. And I know it, at first to fresh ears, it's going to sound crazy, but it looks like a, at least a multi-dimensional, at least a four dimensional um, uh, aspect to that thing. You're, you're dealing with a, uh, the metaphysical realm at this point where it's a literal city, but it's spiritual. And uh, of course, kind of like a 3D object. Think about all the places you've got shadows in your Bible, uh, shadows that lead to the true substance, like the tabernacle, for example, Hebrews mentioned, these are shadows of things to come. Well, that shadow, a 3D object cast a two-dimensional shadow. Well, if a tabernacle or something like that is a three-dimensional object being cast by a shadow in the metaphysical realm, well, if a three-dimensional object like myself is casting a two-dimensional shadow, a three-dimensional shadow 
would be cast by something with multi-dimensions. So that's deep stuff, and uh, it's fun to consider, but I can't comment with any real authority on uh, <laughs> that city, that four-square city, and you read that thing, and be my guest if you can disambiguate that thing uh, in our natural finite minds. Thank you, Kirby. Tommy, any thoughts? Wow, that got deep there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, um, I maybe I'm not understanding the question, but um, I do believe we're going to rule on Earth during the millennium. Um, and so will our return to Earth be after the great bride, the city descends? I mean, I think we'll, you know, wherever the Lord's at is where we're going to be. But I don't I think Revelation 21, that's the new heaven and new earth that happens after the millennial reign of Christ. I think we're going to be here before that uh, ruling and reigning on earth. But, you know, I think there's a lot more mystery. There's a lot more I don't know about the millennium than I do know. Thank you, Tommy. Kirby, any final thoughts on that question? No, sir. Uh, it's, that's bigger than than I can handle. That's a big one. <laughs> All right. Good job to the both of you. So next question comes in from Joseph Carter. And he's not really specifying anybody, so we'll work through it together. So he says, Romans 11, verses 28 to 32, who is the enemy of the gospel if Israel and the church are the same? Also, how will he have mercy upon all? Sounds like it's more directed at you, uh, Pastor Tommy, if you wanted to start. Yeah. Well, this is like what I mentioned at the beginning. Sometimes the Bible is referring to a physical people. Sometimes it's referring to a geographic location. I think sometimes it's referring to a spiritual people. Without a doubt, uh, the Israel that's the enemy of the gospel, it's unbelievers, it's Paul's kinsmen according to the flesh, for sure. Just because I believe that we are the Israel of God does not mean every time we see Israel referenced that it's talking about um, it's, it's talking about us. For example, he said that, uh, you know, we're a Jew who's one inwardly. I'm an inward Jew, but that doesn't mean every time the Jews are mentioned that it's talking about believers because we also see a lot of prophecies against the Jews and them getting hammered. So, um, you know, when he's given those clarifying statements and showing how the word of God has taken effect, um, that's when he's kind of making those distinctions. And so, how he will have mercy upon all. Okay, That's a great question there too. That's what the whole point of Romans 11 is too. Because he had said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved in Romans chapter 10. When he gets to chapter 11, he starts with God cast away Israel. No, he's showing they can still be saved too. In fact, he's concluded them all in unrighteousness that he might have mercy upon all. The reason he said that is because if God is going to be, to be able to, to save Israel, then he's going to have to provide a salvation that works for everybody. Because you know why Israel couldn't get saved? Because they weren't able to keep the law. And so Jesus Christ did what he did. So you wouldn't have to keep the law to be saved. And you know what? That turned out to be a great blessing for those of us who were without hope, who didn't have any chance, who didn't have the law of God and were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So uh, that's what he means when he talks about having mercy on all the the way of salvation that we that we teach that Paul pre taught in the book of Romans was Israel's only hope, and it turned out to be a great blessing for the entire world. Thank you, Tommy. Kirby, floor is yours. You know, 
part of that passage says that they are um, uh, beloved for the Father's sakes. Again, that that's going to harmonize right there with the with the eternal security. Looking at them for the Father's sakes, that's and I, I had some notes. I was I was scrambling to look for them. I don't know where they're at, but I was I I, I showed clearly how that's tethered back to uh, individual fathers by name, church father, uh, ch church fathers. I'm sorry, uh, patriarch. Uh, Israel, Jacob being one of them, I think Moses being another for, for the promises to the fathers. So because of that, God's keeping his promises. Uh, he's keeping his word. So again, that just Romans 11, man, is really, I think uh, we, we kind of sometimes don't spend much time in it because we, we've spent so much time in it. We don't really land there, but man, that's going to be, that's a, that's a big one to, like I said, a hard sell you make in there. Romans 11 is pretty plain. So, yeah. That that question, come. That, that's my son-in-law. <laughs> Joseph Carter's my son-in-law. So I guess he was aiming that at Tommy. Awesome. Well, I hope Joseph has enjoyed this debate. I know I have. He's going to uh, ask me a question. He better throw me a softball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph, bring the heat for uh, for Kirby. Uh, Tommy, if you wanted a final word on it, go ahead. Yeah, they're beloved for the Father's sake. Yeah, that's why they've not been cast away. That's why they still have hope. God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they still have to, they can't abide in unbelief. They still got to have faith, but uh, but yeah, but they, they can still be saved. That's the whole point of Romans Can I 11. Can please say something? Don? Romans 11, let me say this too. You know, Romans 11 is a great, you know, is Paul greatly articulating how Israel can still be saved, you know, in spite of all that they've done. But again, belief is required. He's been, he's stated that in nearly every chapter in the book of Romans, there's an there's a emphasis on salvation be to those who believe to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and it still still applies. Oh yeah, I do have I, I do have my references. They're in the Bible. I wrote them in the Bible. Um, Tommy, you keep doing it. You keep referring to individuals, and in, in the, the promise is to a corporate body called Israel. They are beloved. How if they are not saved? They are not beloved. We are, we are accepted in the beloved if we're saved. That is not individual. That is not that. What's well, concerning that is, the election? Well, when you say the election, tell me what you mean by that. The chosen, chosen, Elect, chosen same thing. Those of faith, chosen to what? Well, that's what I would ask you then. What what is Israel chosen for? This physical nation that, you know, you believe still is here and ha has claim on the promises. What mm -hmm. have they been chosen for? Well, I, I can answer that first. based on Romans 9. Okay. But well, in I Romans 9, they're, they're chosen for destruction. <laughs> uh, no, sir. No, Romans 9 doesn't say that. They were chosen. He, he, he used that, that, that his name might de be declared throughout the earth through them. That's it. That's Romans yeah, 9. They didn't get 17. that done, and that was taken from them. Okay. I, I, I think we can agree to that, which taken for them for how long? See, that's, I agree with so much of what you're saying, and we, but it's, it's, it's in part, it's there, they are going to be restored. Again, 
you, I, I would like at some point you to consider, and I know we can't talk forever, but if the miracles and signs and kingdom credentials, the kingdom credentials are apostolic signs, why are they coming back if the Jews do not have a future? Well, as far as how long uh, they're going to lose it, um, when Jesus came to the fig tree and there wasn't any fruit, he said, let no fruit grow in thee henceforward forever. I, I believe what you said is referring to Jesus Christ saying that to a tree. Mm -hmm. That tree didn't grow anything more. But he speaks of the parable of the fig tree in that generation of life. Israel's going to bear fruit again. That's a Bible fact. Matthew 24. Uh, Matthew 24 is not about a nation bearing fruit. It's about identifying the season that you're in. And so when you see a fig tree bud, you know that summer is nigh. Okay. I, That's all I there believe, is to it. That's not about a nation coming back. I believe it is. I believe that it is. And I believe that uh, that can be proven. And uh, I believe there's there's other places in Scripture that show Israel will bear fruit. Right now, they're not bearing fruit. They are they are not restored spiritually. Physically, they are back in their own land. And, you know, uh, I'm surprised that you would minimize that. But we talked about that. But no, sir. Uh, Matthew 24 is another. That's a big one. But uh, that that generation, a lot of times when you think of generation, people think of a gener uh, an expanse of time within a life cycle of a person. And, this generation, this demonstrative, the generation of that fig tree is the generation of life. That is the beginning of a of like that generation when they're coming back, like he's 1948, that generation will not pass. It's not the generation of people. It's that generation of that fig tree, which is Israel. That's uh, not going to pass. Did you just extend that beyond a lifetime? What did you just extend that to where that could go more than one person's lifetime? No, because said... now we're gonna have to listen to 1948 forever. Because I, I can't wait until you know, 19. First off, uh, night, I, I, I don't want to get 1948, but you guys got to stop stretching that out. The rapture is supposed to come in 1988 because a generation is no, 40 years. No, sir, I'm, I agree. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be a generation. I don't care if it's 100. That's not what I'm saying. This generation is not the generation of people, it's the generation of that nation, it's the generation of that fig tree. And it's it, as it's generated, uh, I forgot the botanical uh, horticultural usage of it. It's, uh, but any kind of life, it's not a life cycle. It's that generation. Once it's not going to go away and it's there now planted miraculously. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. Since we hit the three hour mark, we'll uh, wrap it up with one last question. This is a super chat and then we'll get into our uh, closing thoughts and closing statements. So this one comes in from pseudonym. Thank you for the support. And he says to clarify, are the debaters dispensationalists? If yes, what is the point of revelation and the old Testament? Is it to fulfill agreed upon prophecy? Gentlemen, if you'd like to speak to that, whoever would like to start, um, Kirby, did you want to start? If, if ah, sure. I mean, uh, I would be called a dispensationalist. I'm not married to that term, dispensationalist. Uh, sure, I give place to dispensational thought. So does Pastor McMurtry, though. It, it just depends on to what extent that you do. Um, uh, dispensational stuff just is the result of allegiance to uh, sound exegesis of the scriptures. 
uh, the, what's the point of Revelation and the Old Testament? I don't, man, I'm having, to, maybe I'm just, maybe this is way past my bedtime. I am, this is late for me. No, this I questioner promise. usually speaks in riddles. I can't say yeah, to I don't, interpret I, it either. I apologize to the pseudonym. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I know how to comment on that one, guys. I want to hear Tommy. You, you do something, say something about that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question. Hopefully I can give a short answer. So understand that there's a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament. And those prophecies, not all of them, but many of them have contingencies, lots of contingencies. We see a lot of things that were fulfilled at Christ's first coming, but we see a bunch of things that weren't fulfilled at, at Christ's first coming as well. So the thing is, when... Those prophecies, they had calls to action. And in those prophecies, it, there was outcomes given if they are obedient, but they weren't. So that's going to change some things. For example, we would all agree that when the Bible says uh, about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, then we could also conclude that if they don't eat, then they won't die. And we can all talk about what would have happened had they never ate of that fruit. That's, you know, obviously they ate the fruit. But same thing, too, with a lot of those Old Testament prophecies. I do believe there is much prophecy yet to be fulfilled. There is a lot that did not get accomplished at Christ's first coming. Jesus came to do his part. Israel was not ready to do their part. Having said all that, we must be very careful with Old Testament prophecy and how dogmatic we get on how those things are going to play out. Because a lot of those things that we see were contingent upon certain things taking place that never took place. And Jesus ended up bringing in the new and better covenant. And so after 70 AD, when Israel rejected the Messiah, when they never repented, and when they in judgment came upon them and they were destroyed, then... Uh, that is when you could say that which decayed and waxed old had vanished away. It was gone. That's when you could say the full the time of the Gentiles is fully come in and the time of the Jew is over. And so what the book of Revelation is, that's basically our eschatology. You know, that is showing us how the things are going to play out. And because uh, things didn't really play out good at the first coming of Christ, because Israel wasn't ready. But Jesus came, made the sacrifice for sin. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And there are still more things to conquer. But for the last 2,000 years, we've been gathering that spiritual kingdom together. We've been out there giving the gospel, getting people saved. We've got them from all over the world. And so Jesus Christ is going to come back one of these days. He's going to resurrect all those who are of faith from the beginning of time. He's going to catch up, catch away those of us who are of faith. And then he is going to fulfill whatever is left to be fulfilled. And I am not an expert on what all Old Testament prophecies still need to be fulfilled. But whatever there is that needs to be fulfilled, Jesus is going to get it done. And so Revelation, it was very important that we had a book um, showing our eschatology. And the Old Testament, you could say that's Israel's eschatology. And for sure. There's application we can make for our, you know, our eschatology, but we're kind of looking at shadows back there and 
That's why I try to only be dogmatic about what's to come based on what's in Revelation, not necessarily some of those Old Testament prophets. Some things change under the new and better covenant. For example, Pastor Kirby referenced Ezekiel 37. Well, Ezekiel 37 talks about uh, God dwelling among the people. And, but he's, you know, everybody said, well, that's talking about Israel. Well, what's interesting, the exact, almost the exact same thing that God said about Israel in Ezekiel chapter 37, he says to the church in Revelation 21, it says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them. And in Ezekiel 37, talking about the Jews says he's going to live with them forevermore. But here in Revelation 21, he's living with us. Why? Because. Also in uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39, we see the two sticks becoming one picture of the Jew and Gentile. A lot of deep stuff there, but um, Revelation was very important that they give that one extra book and it, after the destruction of Jerusalem. Tom, okay. Yeah, uh, Tom, Kirby, go ahead. One Any quick thought? thing, man. Amid that... Uh, response you spoke of christ fulfilling things in the future okay yet that's what i mean by moving the goalpost amid the game according to ephesians chapter 1 verse 10 you said that's already happened you cannot have it both ways did he fulfill things in the past or is it is the fulfillment later the say fulfill times, everything okay but we still got to have a resurrection because i and i understand what i'm saying this though i I think we, me and you, surprisingly, could have so much agreement. If it, and again, it may take a little while for this to resonate, even with me and you. Ephesians chapter one, uh, verse ten. This gathering, all a lot of what we're seeing is very. Uh, there's a huge probability on the probability scale. I give a lot of merit to the the, the concept of what we're kind of disagreeing on being one at this time. Okay. Just something to think of. It's just a thought that I just, I think is there's some value there because we do kind of butt heads on so many things, but we may be surprised at what we are both seeing that um, we could agree upon with that possibly. Right. Well, would you agree with this statement too? Because in this, and this is an area where I think we can, you, know, you can have a lot of conversation and maybe not completely agree on, but that, at Christ's first coming, or right now, <clears throat> there has already been a fulfilling of many prophecies spiritually. However, you and I would both agree that there is a physical fulfillment that is still to come. So, for example, we are already saved spiritually, but physically we're not. Right. But we believe in a physical one, right? And yes, so. Sir. Um, you know, uh, so understand that's an area where we can confuse each other a little sometimes where yeah. we can refer to things as being fulfilled that are only spiritually fulfilled, like the two people mm -hmm. becoming one. Okay. But then the, I do believe in a physical fulfillment where we're all going to come together. Those are the old Testament and those are the new Testament. Sure. And so I, I do believe in a physical fulfillment. I do believe there are land. You could even say land things that God's got to fulfill. I just believe it's going to be fulfilled with the people who he resurrects, not with the ethnic group from today. All right, brothers. Uh, fantastic discussion. It's great having two 
uh, individuals with so much knowledge on this topic makes it that much more enjoyable. This is some deep technical stuff. So appreciate uh, all the points, uh, questions, and just all of the back and forth discussion. So before we completely wrap it up, firstly to the audience, thank you for all the excellent questions and engagement in the live chat. It's definitely been a lively live chat in terms of the audience so it's been it's been interesting to watch and read and the debate itself has been great as well so we're going to wrap it up now with five minute closing statements and since uh, pastor tommy you did start us off with your opening statement so we'll give you the first five minutes and whenever you're ready the floor is yours yeah well i think i'm pretty much talked out but i definitely enjoyed it and appreciate uh brother tab doing this with me uh I'm passionate about this subject, but I, I don't hate people who disagree with me on it. I think there's a I think there's so much that we don't know about these things that need to be talked about. And I but I do think we kind of hit some roadblocks when we get focused on an ethnic group. And uh, I'd like to get people's you know minds off that. I I just completely disagree about 1948. And the significance of that about a physical people uh, having any kind of claim, I think we need uh, uh, the, on the dispensational side, they need to show Israel's credentials. And I think the only thing they're going to be able to show you is the law. And if they're under the law, then they, they have no promises. And so what do they have today? What? makes them Israel. Where are their credentials? I have the credentials. I have the Holy Spirit within me. I, I, I have the word of God. I have salvation. These are, these are the things that I have, and I don't have anything. I have no claim by my genealogy. I have no claim by the law. It's, it's all of faith, and that's why I am secure, and I do believe the physical nation I, I think that was a, a good part of this debate that uh, hopefully people got something out of. You heard his argument that Israel, the physical nation, had eternal security. I believe they did not. I believe God raised them up for destruction. And you say, I don't like that. Well, you know what? Who is to tell the potter what he can do to the clay? That's what Paul's talking about in Revelation 9. Just like God raised up Pharaoh for judgment and destruction. God raised up these physical people for judgment and destruction, and they got it. Now, you say, well, what about these people today? It's a it's a religious group that has no pedigree, has no evidence of a pedigree, but I will concede they are the children of the Jews because they reject Jesus Christ the way the Jews did. They are of the same spirit. They do have the same father, the devil and they will be destroyed at Christ's return. It's not about where you come from physically. It's about the spiritual. And that's another subject for another day, but I believe we still have, there's a spiritual Gaga Magog. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a physical thing. I don't think it's about Russia. Come on. Uh, but just like, but I believe there is a spiritual Ishmael. I believe there is a spiritual Edom, even though those nations are not really, I believe there's a spiritual Babylon that revelation talks about and i do believe there are uh the synagogue of satan and uh, but it's so don't think i'm anti-semitic don't say that kind of thing no 
I only say these things about them, not because of their lineage. I say it because of their beliefs. That's why. And so that's all I have. Thank you for having me on here. I definitely enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Tommy, for those closing words and that closing statement. Okay, uh, Kirby, you also have your uh, up to five minutes for concluding uh, thoughts and points. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, glad to be here and uh, for the discussion. And uh, Pastor Tommy said he's not anti-Semitic. And you may notice, Pastor Tommy, for the same reason I'm not interested in getting into the uh, pedigree of the Jews is the same reason I don't I don't think there's any value in charging you with being anti-Semitic or anything like that. Concerning that pedigree, I just believe this. I believe that if 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 God could take in Noah's day and and uh, orchestrate the animals to meet him at the ark or migrating birds, I've got purple martins that are in my yard right now. They will leave at the end of August. They'll head back to South America and they know where to go. If God can do that with a bird, he can do that with his, with his people. And that should, that's good enough for me. Uh, so <laughs> when we're talking about that, I will tell you that to close out, I'll say it like this. I am incredibly uh, humbled. At, I've been studying this for the past month since I was invited onto this channel studying this and uh, is humbling to say I have introduced so much more uh, a broadening of my perspective and a, and a lot of questions. I've, I've got more questions than answers, which that's how you get the right answers is to start asking the right questions. I just want to be a good Bible student and I want to um, be able to learn learn how to listen better. I really want to listen to Tommy's side better and not just wait to talk. Sometimes I'm guilty of that. So I'm trying to do better with that. But there's what I, I want to, I'd like to know if, I don't know if I'm articulating this, describing this well, but there's something that I've realized and I'm, I'm probably at that point right now. And as a student of the scriptures, we, I start off we like we all do at the at the bottom, just a baseline understanding of some things. And as we in whatever arena we're in, as we ascend, you know, knowledge puffeth up and we start to think we know something and we get to. And now we're in this arena, say this building that I'm in, we're at the, I'm at the top at the ceiling. And boy, it's easy to think, man, I've got this figured out, you know, and that's usually how a young novice is. Uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect really explains that well when it comes to uh psyche of learning things but is what happens man if you keep going and keep learning you sort of hit that ceiling and you break through you break through that ceiling and when you do you're in another arena it's like a tiered kind of thing kind of like you went from first grade to second grade but you know where you're at you were so high and now you're you break through and now you're on the floor again and i'm not as confident as i was before i, I i'm I know more about the subject, but I'm, now I'm not as confident as I was before. And then you'll start to rise and get and, you know, so much more and you get higher and higher. And of course, you got to break through again and you start all over. Now you're in third grade, this tiered learning. Um, I don't know where I'm at on the uh, what floor I'm on or what level, but it's pretty humbling. The more I know, the more I realize that I don't know of some stuff, but it's what is the beautiful thing about it in a discussion like this, I can, I go back and 
even though like several floors down are some things where I used to be so dogmatic, I'm just not as dogmatic anymore about some things and kind of hold my cards a little bit, but that stuff finds me and uh, when I need it and I've kind of forgotten what I know about stuff like that. I've heard it well said like this and uh, for edification, I guess I'll say this. Um, the, the best definition of ignorance I've ever heard was was this. It's knowing just enough about a subject to think that you're right, but not enough about that subject to know that you're wrong. So as we uh, continue on, I, I really hope I'm going to take these things with me. Some things that Tommy has challenged uh, me to consider more and uh, uh, try to make some sense out of it and be able to give a better answer to some things. Uh, but I hope he'll do the same. And uh, again, I really uh, still embrace Tommy as, as my brother and I greatly appreciate him. I, I appreciate anyone and I sympathize with anyone who's trying to make sense of the scriptures and trying to um, come to better understanding of that. Kirby, thank you very much for your concluding statement as well. I appreciate anybody who's willing to uh, join and participate in, in these discussions. These are important issues, and I really love uh, this topic. You both did a great job. So I appreciate uh, three-plus hours of your time. Great endurance. We're going to wrap it up here to the audience. Thank you for tuning in, and please share around this content because these kinds of discussions are important. So with that, God bless all, and Standing for Truth is out.